Welcome back to True Life, Not Doritos. It's been too long. It's been way, way, way too long since I did the last show. If you are one of the original fans of True Life, Not Doritos, you might be wondering... What's that noise that just happened in the background? That's my refrigerator. Um, I'm still figuring out this microphone setup. I need a cough button, that's for sure. Anyway, if you're listening to this show and you're wondering why it's just me, Brian, uh, hosting the show, that's because, uh, and if you're wondering why we haven't done a show in... A while I'll answer both of those questions and the answer is that I had a sort of falling out with uh, Josh Jack the other uh, co-host of the show Bill Miller was kind of like a an occasion a third mic but he didn't have to necessarily uh, be a you know, one of the main co-hosts, but I thought, you know, I didn't have any issues with him, really. I didn't really know him too well, except from the show, in the, the one time we met. Um, the only reason he's not really involved in this show, that he's is he's more of Josh's friend, I don't really know him too well. So it wasn't really a falling out with him, but, um, yeah, what happened was... I was doing the show, and I will admit that, you know, the way that I dealt with the situation was maybe not the best, but basically, and I might, you know, I'll, I'll, I may get another, some different co-hosts in the future, but here's the deal, right, so... I was kind of, you know, we're doing this podcast, it's it's not making any money, it's never made any money, but Josh was always, seemed to be complaining like you're not treating this like it's a full-time job, and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm not, you know why, because it's not, and it wasn't that I didn't want to do a good job for the show the point was that we were ramping up and I was working on it but you know he was just never satisfied with that he was always there was always a problem and so I just started to get fed up with it but then when it when it really came to a, a head, all of this annoyance and stuff, was when he asked me to go down to the... So we did a live podcast. It was actually one of the best ones that I think we we had done, because we were all in the same room. We had gone to a, a, a comedy club in the city and recorded a show. And uh, it was me, uh, Bill Miller, Josh Jack, and 
Will Fitz. And I think that's, yeah, I think it was the four of us. It was a good experience. I really liked it. And I don't know if it was a communication thing or what, but um, I guess Josh was under the impression that we were going to meet one day, uh, you know, on a Monday or something to do a recording over at, uh, over at that comedy club. And I didn't know that was what was happening. And, uh, and then I think I might've said something about, well, if you're going to be busy on blah, blah, blah day, do you mind if I do a show without you? And he took offense to that. He took offense to the idea that I would do the show without him. Now, I wasn't doing it without him to avoid him. I was doing it without him so that we would continue to have show content while he was busy helping out with Bill's open mic. You know, it's fine. You want to support comedy. I think that's great. And I I wasn't making a huge deal about it, but I thought, hey, why don't I just make some kind of show just to move it forward? It wasn't a criticism. It wasn't, fuck you, why are you not taking the show seriously? It wasn't any of that. It was just, hey, maybe for people who are subscribing who would like to see continued content in their feed, I think it would be a good thing to offer. Um, so that was that situation, the idea of me hosting the show alone just for that day. And then it came around to, like I was saying, there was one day where they expected me to, or or Josh, I guess, expected me to, to meet him over at the, the comedy club, which for me is like probably like 45 minutes to an hour or more away. And uh, it's something that, that I'll go to, but I like to know the day before um or a few days before that that's what we're doing gotta drink some water sponsored by great value it's a great value at 60 cents at your local walmart so hmm so what I was saying was, you know, Josh got upset with me because I wasn't going to be there. There there was like, he kind of expected me to be there on a day that was never confirmed between us. And I don't know, maybe I should have known better. Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't always read between the lines the best in social or or anticipate things correctly in social situations. But the way that he responded and said, well, you were going to do the show without me, so don't tell me what to do. It was like, ugh, what the fuck are you talking about? Why does everything have to be that somebody's doing you wrong, right? And so here's where I, I screwed up, I think was I just got fed up with him and I blocked him because I'm like I don't want to deal with this bullshit why do I want to do a show with a person who doesn't even 
let it be fun, you know? He shits on, on other people in comedy. Like, uh, Darren Martinez, uh, you know, a local in the Philadelphia comedy scene. He's always talking about how, oh, Darren sucks, you know, he's, whatever, he's, he's a dick, blah, blah, blah. But I've never, ever had the feeling that, oh, this guy just drains the the life out of me to work with. Now, to be clear, you know, again, this is a, this is a personality thing. This isn't a problem with Josh's comedy. This is a personality clashing thing. And having a personality that clashes doesn't mean that you're not talented or successful. I mean, People like Steve Jobs and Howard Stern, in many ways, horrible personalities, but they found ways to be pioneers and uh, in their field and rise to the top. And so I'm not saying that, that Josh can't have success, but in terms of you know, being somebody I want to work with, um, it just, I don't know, he just makes it hard to want to work with him. So then, let's fast forward several months. I suggested, you know, I can bring the show back. Do you want to try it again? He said, no, you'll quit again. And, uh... You know, maybe I should have figured out a way to communicate him to him. I see it's it's hard when you feel like you have told somebody that the way they're acting is just frustrating, and just to have it continue. It's it's kind of like he would he would speak to me like he was my boss, even though this isn't a company, and. Uh, at least at this point, and he certainly, you know, if I'm doing half the work here, how is he the boss, you know? So anyway, I I was going to, I was thinking about trying the show again, you know. He didn't want to do it. Okay. Um, he likes to quit things, which look, I, I did quit out of frustration, but it wasn't like I was you know, done with it forever, that wasn't my goal, but Josh likes to, to do this thing where, ah, oh, fuck you, we're done forever because of whatever, you know, that's just his personality, I think, is to say screw you, in fact, I, I was checking out his show today, um, where he was very upset with a, a comic, um, Chris Soriano, I think, who was on his podcast and made him delete his his videos. I don't know. But he's like, I don't want to do any shows with anybody anymore because this guy was a dick. Taking like one or two examples and applying it to everybody. So let me get back. What was my point here? Where was I going with all this talk about Josh? Um, I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of what happened to the show so that we can move forward and make things right. 
with the viewers not necessarily with Josh unless he decides that he wants to return to this show but yeah so the situation was you know he said I don't want to do this because you're going to quit and so then I said a month a few months later I think I'm not great with the timeline here because I don't I don't have the text I, I've switched phones since and uh, I wish they would see those texts to the cloud because there's a lot of interesting stuff that uh, I'm sure uh, that that would be interesting to read but not necessarily about Josh just in general um, so you hear that buzzing in the background I'm using a better microphone than I've used before that's even something that Josh said when we were doing the show. He's like, you know, I bought a microphone. What have you bought for this show? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. He's, he's one of those people, I think, who kind of uses comedy to cover up his, his intentional... Um, him, and, him and Steve Reese are, are two people who I think kind of use comedy as a veil to... Uh, express what they really think. You know that 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 phrase. Many a truth is said in jest, and the idea is you say something and you swear you're joking, but it's really how you feel. It's like a it's like a crafty version of passive aggression. Um, Steve even named a show after it, so I, I know you don't know who Steve is. Don't worry about it. But check out Hostbusters on YouTube. It is uh, a show that if you enjoyed things in the vein of uh, Jocktober from Opie and Anthony or um, similar kind of takedown, breakdown shows, check that out on YouTube. It's a video show. This, at least at the moment, is just an audio show. So the timeline of, of things that were happening with Josh. The last thing that happened was I said to him at, at one point I, I even said it politely via text hey um are you planning to to return to the show anytime at, at all if not um I wanted to ask you do you mind if I start those shows back up again and he said he did a real passive aggressive move which was like yeah, you can have him back, but um, don't unsubscribe for me on YouTube, and uh, don't you know you're a because you're a phony, and you said something about me in a video. Even and even though I didn't mention his name, I shouldn't have said it. And it's like he could have said to me, "Man, what the fuck were you talking about in that video?" He could have said that. Like, why did you say that? Instead, it was, well, I guess he kind of did what I did, um, though in this case, I felt it wasn't warranted, but uh, he just stopped talking to me. He blocked me and and then complained about me on his podcast. So I'm not saying he can't complain about me on his podcast, but I felt like it was incredibly juvenile, the, the thing that he got upset. Essentially, what I said, and I, I'll repeat it is that 
I think, and I didn't mention him by name, which is why it really perplexed me that he got so upset. You know, he said, you were trashing me. How am I trashing you if I'm not even saying or alluding to who you are? I, I'm not even saying his name rhymes with Bob Lash, you know, I, or anything like that. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's a weird thing. Uh, Bill, I guess, probably still does shows with Josh. Bill, if you're listening, you're welcome back to the show. Um, it might be weird because, you know, but whatever. Um, we can we can get this ship sailing again. So I'm not sure how uh, this show will stay the same or change. But one of the... One of the things that that we have been doing as in terms of like the way the show set up is we would do a bunch of different uh, segments, different shows that would then be uh, edited, separated and released as shows themselves. So. The, we have the like the tech show, fun education, tech lessons. I, I actually don't even remember all of them. Um, let me just get my phone in gear here, so I can. We got fun education, tech lessons. We've got screw boredom, get hobbies. Um, see, some of these were more of his thing, you know, like poop stories he does on his podcast now, so I'm going to just skip that. And giving up on sex, well, he basically has his MGTOW channel now, so that's that. So I can skip the poop and sex shows, because I'm sure there's going to be enough poop and sex talk in the rest of the show anyway. Yeah, we like to keep a juvenile here. Um, what other shows do we... We got TV Movie Experts. What else, What are some of those other podcasts we got? Um, still doing B&E. Bringing back Breaking and Entering. Uh, yoy. I don't remember. All right. Well, let's see. We'll do. Uh, I guess we'll do a TV movie experts. I understand the concept of dead air. I just don't respect it. Because I'm a podcast rebel, folks. Um, this is TV Movie Experts. And it's a show that's part of the True Life Not Doritos show. A fan favorite. And this, of course, is the show where we talk about TV and movies, and by we, I mean me, Brian, because I'm doing this show solo. 
Um, and I'll let you know if we're doing live shows. But let's let's see. I recently saw that show um, with that Asian lady who goes around the world and uh, teaches people things from her book, uh, The Life-Changing Magic of... I think it's... What is it? The the life-changing magic of tidying up. This is bad because I, I actually don't remember the name of the show. Um, Marie Kondo. That's right. And her show is called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Okay. So... I want to just give you the rundown on, uh, does IMDB have shows, have show names? Well, before I get the official, official explanation, basically it's a show from this woman who wrote this book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and I guess some of the precepts of it are, um, if it doesn't give you joy, throw it away. Now, here's the funny thing. You might be listening to this and be like, Oh, God, you just let your girlfriend fucking tell you what to watch? The funny thing is, like, that's the kind of shit I would watch uh, without her. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm more into corny self-help bullshit than uh, she is, honestly. So, uh, the show is about cleaning up. But it's, it's not like, it's, it's not like those hoarders shows where it's like brute force cleaning up. It's, it's more like bringing an entire cleaning philosophy into your home and sort of doing it intuitively. But, um, it's so funny because she, the woman on the show is wearing these, these outfits that are like very white, like the woman who, who's the cleaning, the tidying expert, she's wearing these shirts that you know in just a second could get so dirty. And it's just funny because you would think like, why would you wear that on a show? Why risk it uh, getting that shirt dirty if you want to project an image of cleanliness? But I guess... If she wears a pristine, clean white shirt and it is clean, then it looks even more clean than if it were a blue shirt that was clean. This is just some thought. Uh, and then when they show, when they show her like sitting in, when when they show her sitting in the room, like in between the segments, she's sitting on this couch. She's sitting on the couch really unnaturally, like sitting straight up, like like I'm not even trying to sound racist here, but it's sort of a meditation posture where you put your back erect, but she wasn't really touching the couch. Um, it was very odd, and then she likes to sit on the floor in other segments, in other parts of the show, but... The thing about it was, like, you could tell that that room that she was sitting in on in the interstitials um, was fake. Because it looked like a living room, but 
it looked cleaner, somehow cleaner than a living room on a sitcom. Like, it was just pristine perfection. And I guess I was like, this doesn't seem natural. But then I thought, if she's trying to project this image of perfection and cleanliness, then it, it makes sense that she wants it to be as perfect as possible. Uh, it's weird because she <laughs> she has an interpreter, which is fine, but it just seems like an extra layer of frustration in this setting. I can't really articulate why I feel that way right now. Um, I'm trying to find, like, do they even give an explanation? Uh, author Marie Kondo offers tips on the art of keeping your home and workspace tidy and organized. Yeah, so, it's an interesting show. I'll watch more. Maybe I'll read the book, too. God knows I need to clean this shit up. And there definitely is something, there really can be something life-changing about cleaning. Like, God, especially if you're like me and you can just generate clutter at an alarming speed. Um, it's just good to know that it it feels good to clean. It's a, it's a good motivation to just get things clean. God, I can't, I, I... Your body actually, I believe, I just farted, speaking of clean, just farted on my chair. Your body generates uh, cortisol when there is a lot of clutter around you. I don't know if your body senses it or if it's a, if it's stimulated by your nervous system when you look at clutter i'm not really sure how it works but i just know that having the room clean after it's been dirty for so long is just the best it really feels good and back when i like didn't even bother to clean i didn't understand the idea that having a cleaner place would matter I just thought, whatever, life just sucks, what do I care? So I can see how this show is useful. Now, I think so far watching the show, I feel like one of the downfalls of the show is that they don't really look at the long-term effects of doing things this way. Meaning, it's great, it's kind of like the same issue that they run into with the show uh, intervention or celebrity rehab it's like you're you know people are learning these skills hopefully improving while they're on the show but unless they have a rigorous uh specific formula in place to keep them on this positive track the relapse rate is going to probably be pretty high and so that's a concern i don't i don't think they really address that on the show i don't think they really talk about how um 
it's great that you got this clean and it feels good. But so, but if you don't make sure you you have a system in place that you can stick with, it's it's likely not to last. And I think so. I think that it's not that her advice is bad. It's just that I would add to that advice that figure out a a way or even talk to other people who are trying to do this uh, so that you can figure out a way to tidy up and then keep it tidy. So I will be right back because I don't want to dirty this chair. <laughs> this is still going. Okay. We're back. We're back. You didn't go anywhere. I went to the bathroom, but I'm back. So, it was, like, interesting because that woman in the show, Marie Kondo, was, she looked in the sink and they were, like, just... Some dishes, like a normal amount of dishes, sitting in their sink in the kitchen of this these this house where these people lived. And she's like, this doesn't bother you? Because a few dishes were in the sink. And I'm thinking, like, who gives a fuck? A few dishes in the... I wonder if this woman has OCD. <laughs> And there was some, like, real weird relationship dynamics with this one couple that was in this first episode. There's just some odd Asian traditions going on that is fine, but they don't really explain the, the important part, I guess, more so is, I don't know if they really explain what they are. Maybe a little bit. So what other TV? I mean, I, I did a little... It seems lately when I, like, sit down and we watch TV, I end up not getting far into what I'm watching. I mean, I could talk about the shows that I've watched in between last time we did the show. And this episode, the loner version of... True Life, Not Doritos. It's weird to call it the same show and have it be a different show. Um, what else? I just want to... Oh, I watched uh, Making a Murderer. I thought the female um, defen public defender or lawyer on that show was pretty entertaining. So that was season two. I don't know, I'll have to, you know, I'll have to figure this out in the future when I'm watching some more television, but I don't really have anything else to say about that right now, so uh, thanks for listening to TV Movie Experts. More episodes coming soon. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, this is the True Life, Not Doritos podcast, the first podcast of that name.
So we have other shows here. We have fun education tech lessons. We've got screw boredom. Get hobbies. Um, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out. I'm just kind of trying to figure out here which one to do next. Uh, screw boredom, get hot. Blah, blah, blah. Well, as I figure that out, maybe I'll try and figure that out in my head while I actually try and provide some interesting content for the show. So if you're interested, uh, like I said, you should check out the Hostbusters um, YouTube channel. It's on YouTube under Hostbusters. Yes, it's a play on Ghostbusters. Um, let's see, we've got videos on Owen Benjamin, Beige Frequency, Mike David from Red Bar Radio, Josh Jack, another uh, Cyan Z, he's like a YouTuber who talks about the Opie and Anthony subreddit, and another Owen Benjamin episode. So that's been fun. The most viewed video on that channel of mine is the Mike David uh, video. This guy, uh, Mike David, is a, has a podcast he's been doing for like 15 years called Red Bar Radio. And I made fun of him and he, he played the, the clip on his show, but he didn't really have many good comebacks. I felt like this guy, like his whole thing is destroying people. I thought he would have got me back better um and i invited him on the show to talk about it but he did not respond so that is what it is it's fun go check it out i was watching maybe i should get back in the shameless at some point i'm not sure but uh fun education tech lessons uh Let's just do it, just to do it, if that makes sense. Don't really know exactly what I'm talk going to talk about here, but I'll try and figure something out. So we're going to start that at the 35-minute mark here. Three, two, four, five, six. I was going to say three, two, one, but it wasn't close enough. Stall, 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 stall. And we're getting the 35 seconds. Such a great way to do that. Welcome to Fun Education Tech Lessons. This is the show where we help you have fun. We educate you about technology in the form of lessons. Or in the form of just making fun of you. So, um, what lessons do we have this week? As you can see, it's it's been a while since we've done the show, and so if you are still subscribed, you're you're lucky because it means that your podcast app probably is not unsubscribing you from things that uh, haven't put out episodes in a while, but that can happen. Um, I believe iTunes and Apple's podcast app 
sometimes will uh, charge you. I'm sorry, not charge you. Sometimes the iTunes and uh, Apple Podcasts app. What the fuck am I saying here? <laughs> they will unsubscribe you from a podcast if you have either not played the episodes in a while or if they haven't put episodes out in a while. So just a little thing that I'm, I'm basically saying is if you haven't downloaded an episode in a while, of a podcast in a while and you're like, oh, I guess they're not making episodes anymore, it's possible that really what's going on is they've just automatically unsubscribed you because you haven't used it in a while. Um, one of my favorite podcast apps to use, and it's available both for Android and iOS devices, it's called Pocket Casts. I really like it, and uh, it has. See, see, one of the one of the more annoying things about iTunes, if you're using that for your podcast aggregation, is that it it's available on computers and it's available on in some capacity on iOS devices, but it is not available on Android devices unless, I don't know, you're a hacker or you find some workaround crap. But there's not a, you can't just go ahead and download the Apple Podcast app on an Android device. So it's nice to have Pocket Casts, which it might be like $2 or so. But it is great to, well, I guess you'd have to buy it on two, on both the uh, iOS version and Android version to use it on both. But once you do, um, it it's, it's nice because you can synchronize it. You can set up a synchronization to an email account, and then you can access the same shows, the same episodes on your computer, on your phone, and your tablet, whether Android or, you know, or iOS, all that, all that goodness. I don't know if you can access it on PC. That's really the only platform left that you can't because you can do it on your Chromebook. And I guess your Linux fucking douchebags out there. Well, uh, I can run it on the uh, Penguin Express Ubuntu version 5. It works very well. Don't disregard us Linux users just because we never leave the house and we have $45,000 computers. That's not an existing person. Why am I doing an impression of a guy who doesn't exist? So, <laughs> um, and then I can't remember if I've gone over it in the past, but the... Uh, I want to... Do I have my iPad here? Okay. Well, I have the iPad over there. Let me, let me see if I can find it on the phone here. So one of the... One of the more annoying things, at least... At least on the iPhone, is that unsubscribing from these 
recurring subscription type apps, the type of apps that charge you, say, anywhere from 99 cents to 20, 30, whatever dollars a month, you know, a subscription. Um, those things do add up and, and the whole, the business model, the reason that they say, Hey, here's a free trial, but make sure you put your credit card information in there. The reason they do that is so that you forget their whole business model basically is let's make profit on people who forget to not pay us because they can't forget to pay us. To not pay us? Okay. That was a double negative. But the point is, you're supposed to forget that your subscription is recurring, which I kind of feel like is stealing. Like, it's deceiving. It's definitely deception. Um, is Doesn't it suck that the market is such that if you say, well, that's deceptive, people are like, yeah, that's the business. The business is lying and deceiving. Which is true. You know, sales is bullshit possibly necessary so what i want to do first is tell you if you have an android phone uh here's how you do it on the android i'm going to go on it right now open the google play store or play store whatever however it says it on your phone it's that play symbol the sideways triangle with the green blue red and white yellow on it rather Alright, so now if you are on the home page of the app and you look at the top and it's there's like the search bar where it says Google Play. If you click on the top left of the screen, just to the left of those words where it shows those three three horizontal lines. If you tap on that, then your like side menu will slide over, will show up. And then if you look um there's the first there's your google username and then under that you see my apps and games you see notifications and then you see subscriptions so what you do is you tap subscriptions and it will show you uh, what your subscriptions are so in here i have google one subscription and it's, it says, there's three three lines. First, there's the title of it. Then it says 100 gigabytes. Under that, it says the price, which is $199 a month. And then it says renews on February 3rd, 2019. Now, this is, this is something that's cheap. This is something that I want to keep. So I'm not going to delete it. But if I was going to, if you're going to delete it, uh, cancel anything here's how you do it you tap on it so i'll tap on this picture of the app that says google one and then it goes to a page that um again it says the name of it it says when it when it renews and when you've been subscribed since your primary payment method uh but at the very bottom it says cancel subscription so you would go there and you would cancel your subscription. So even though I said it in a wordy way, it's easier than the way to do it on iOS. But I'll explain the iOS way to do it in a minute. So basically, just quickly, once again, you open your Google, your Play Store app. 
you open up the top left that button with the three horizontal lines you go down to the third item on the menu here and it says subscriptions you see a list of the subscriptions you have you tap on the the service you want to unsubscribe from and then you go to the bottom and you tap cancel subscription and you you may have to hit yes or some prompt after that but basically that's it and you're able for most things if not all of them uh, as long as you cancel before the next payment you won't be charged but you should be allowed to at least continue using whatever app or service until that service period is over so now let me get my iPad here and we're back so alright so we've got our iPad here so we're gonna go hold on can I hear anything hello hello come on dude what the fuck there we can we hear it what the hell man there we go I don't know what the deal is with this mic sometimes it's weird all right so we're on the the home screen this is on the iPad, but it should also work for the iPhone as well. So we go to settings. And then, so, at least on, on my device, on my iPad, it goes to the general tab first. Now, I believe what you have to do now is you go down to iTunes and App Store on that, uh, the, the list on the side. So it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. It, it's nine selections under where it says General. All right, so you tap on that, and then you'll see that the pane on the right side has changed. Um, and it says iTunes and App Stores. And so you see your Apple ID, which is whatever password you have set up with your Apple ID. And so you tap password settings. No, that's not it. Remember, I'm, I'm, this is not a produced show here right now, so I, I may screw up here, but I'm trying, folks. I'm trying. Oh, actually, I think this is the way to do it. So again, you're, you're in your iTunes and App Store, but instead of tapping on password settings, you tap on the blue Apple ID. You tap on that. Okay, now you see a menu. It says view Apple ID, sign out, I forgot, or cancel. You tap view Apple ID. All right, now I don't use a... I don't use an Apple device most of the time, so I do not know if this is for sure my Apple ID uh, password that I'm typing in. Hopefully it is. This is a... Uh, okay, so I put in my password. So now we're in this page, 
and uh, where it says account settings and if you scroll down uh, right before the blue lettering two up from that basically if you scroll down and you get near the bottom it says subscriptions so you tap on that let's see if I have any subscriptions I haven't checked this one in a while so this would be interesting so Alright, so I, I don't have anything, but basically it would work in a similar way where you see what is active, you tap on it, and it will bring you to the next page where you have an option to cancel it, or even to change the subscription tier. Alright, so that's how that works. So because I took a while to explain that because I was going through it real time, let me just recap that real quick. So you're on your home screen. It's going to look slightly different on the iPhone, but but just, just for the basics here. You're on your home screen. You tap your settings icon, the one that looks like a gear. Now you're in your settings. Now you don't want to be in general. You want to go... So you're on general right now. You want to go down to on the menu you want to go down to iTunes and App Store and then when you go to the iTunes and App Store settings you want to tap Apple ID in blue with your email address for your Apple ID uh, after you tap that you see a dialog box with four options view Apple ID sign out I forgot and cancel uh, so what you want to tap is view Apple ID all right and then um, you want to scroll down until you see subscriptions. You want to tap subscriptions. And then you will see the list of apps that you're subscribed to. And you'll be able to uh, unsubscribe from whatever you want to unsubscribe from there. And honestly, you might find that you were subscribed to things that you didn't even know about. So let's just, let's just, just to compare, just, just curious here, because I've heard people complain about how um, Apple seems to really bury that subscription uh, thing, which I guess kind of makes sense that they would want to bury it because they make a certain amount of money off of every time somebody subscribed to an app. They're still taking a piece of that. Not sure what the amount is, but they are. So let's take a look. So so I'll do these neck and neck. All right. So on my Android, I'll tap Play Store. Okay. We're brought to the home screen. Now on the iPad, I will tap Settings. And we're brought to the Settings menu. Right now on the Android, I will tap the menu button in the top left. On the iPad, I will tap um, iTunes and App Store. On the Android, I will tap subscriptions. All right, I'll tap Apple ID on the iPhone. Then I will tap view Apple ID. And then I will tap 
subscriptions. So it's like two or three more steps and it's in a more confusing place. Although once you get there, the interfaces are actually quite similar. Anyway, it's just a little fun stuff you can bring with you in your life. I don't know. Um, hopefully that's worthwhile. Uh, hopefully there's some... I don't know what that means, bring with you in your life. Hopefully you can have some fun with that. So that's my little technology lesson. I hope it changed your life. Thank you for watching um, this program. This has been Fun Education Tech Lessons. Okay, so two shows down, 20 shows to go. We've got Screw Boredom Get Hobbies. We've got Market Yo Self. We've got Oh Jesus. And uh, we got Help Yourself, I believe, was another one. Um, we did like 13 different types of shows, so it's hard to remember. Uh, <clears throat> by the way, if this microphone is over-modulating... I apologize. I'm I'm working on the on you know figuring out the right balance because I want it to sound good. I don't want it to sound too loud. So let's see. We got market yourself. We got oh Jesus. We got help yourself, and we've got screw boredom. Get hobbies. Let's go with um, screw boredom. Get hobbies because I actually have. Uh, some things that I want to talk about, or at least one thing that I want to talk about. All right, so, and yeah, just, and just so you know, this is basically how the show goes. It, it's got a whole bunch of segments, and we just kind of go through them. And they're available individually as their own podcasts. So you can check them out. And, you know, when we would do it before, we would uh, oftentimes quickly jump from one show to the next show to the next show. By the way, if you're hearing that noise in the background, that rattling just at random moments, that is our crappy old refrigerator that we got. Uh, we didn't get it. it. It came with this... Well, it, we're renting, so this is the landlord's fucking ugly-ass yellow old refrigerator. Not yellow like it's faded or anything and turned yellow or jaundiced or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, they used to paint things. It, I wish it was one of the cool avocado fridges, not one of the yellow ones. It's like it's trying to be avocado, but it just didn't do a good job. So yeah, screw boredom, get hobbies. We're at uh, 55, 50, I'll do 56 minutes. 
I know some of this stuff that I'm saying is unimportant, but, you know. And, you know, it's interesting listening back to the show. Some people can listen to shows and get better. All right, here we go. This is 56. Welcome to Screw Boredom, Get Hobbies. That's the name of the show. And it really is true. You know, boredom sucks. Boredom is short-term depression. Boredom is the type of thing that will make you wonder why you need to live on this planet. At least that's one form that boredom can take. See, because if you don't have anything to do, you might start to question why you're even here. What are you doing except taking up space? That's what hobbies are for. See, we think that life is about figuring out the, the depths and the interesting and the, the fascinating things about this world. But the truth is, life is about hobbies. It's about the things you do in your downtime. It's about the things you do when you don't want to think about work and fucking sickness and, and, and everything that sucks about life. Hobbies should be fun. And so that's what the show is about. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So I'm glad that all you hobby hobby buddies out there are having fun. My hobby buddies. Uh, so yeah, the new hobby that I've been trying to get into is um is tech decks yes fingerboards finger skateboards you might be thinking why does a guy who's 47 want to play with fingerboards um i'm not 47 that was a little sarcasm for you some people say i'm too sarcastic i think i mentioned this before but um uh the fuck was I talking about? What was I just talking about? Woo! Um fingerboards, tech decks. I'm trying right now to learn the 360 flip. I want to get my 360 flips on lock on the fingerboard excuse me i watched when i got a tech deck and by the way i said excuse me out of politeness to all of you at home and your grandmothers so i watched this video years ago it was vhs and i think it came with the like the tech deck skate park that my parents bought me and the video is called Fingers of Fury. It's like a take on Fists of Fury. Uh, that like, was that like a, Bru I hate this, I don't know if it's a Bruce Lee or uh, thing, or it might be Bruce Lee. Anyway, one of those gr awesome karate guys had a video called Fists of Fury. And so this was a fingerboarding video. 
called Fist, Fingers of Fury. <clears throat> Not to be confused with the porn titled Fingers of Fury. Uh, if there, so yeah, so I saw this video, uh, Fingers of Fury. I thought it was, it was, it showed me how good some people really can be. Like there's almost like a professional level that you can get to if you persist and practice with fingerboarding. So, um, I watched it and I'm like, wow, this is really amazing what these people can do. And I've been thinking more and more lately, like I want to get into that. I want it to, you know, I kind of want to have like a, like a high speed camera so I can watch the movement in slow motion. Now it's an interesting thing because then I start thinking, if I'm going to put all this practice into these tricks on a fingerboard, why am I not just taking that time to learn those tricks again and learn new tricks on an actual skateboard? And I don't know what to say to that. I mean, it's a good point, right? And, I mean, also, just simply from the point of view of of exercise, I do think that it makes sense to um, to choose skateboarding over fingerboarding. But you know what? There's going to be times where the weather does not permit skateboarding. And truthfully, I'm not going to be spending all my time skating. But uh, I will say one thing that I liked about skateboarding was that it was a fun form of exercise. It was, you know, call me corny, but it was um, kind of like where art meets exercise. <laughs> yes, I know it's corny. But you're trying to perfect these maneuvers in a what can be a very meditative fashion, just repetitive, but in a way that you're... Not in a repetitive, like, stocking shelves, but in a repetitive, like, let me get this just right. Let me fine-tune my approach. And you're competing against no one but yourself. I mean, you can do, you can go to skate competitions, but, um, but if it's just you out there trying to learn the tricks, then it's just you. That's it. So, I want to learn you know practice more with the tech deck even though i'm 58 but uh probably go skateboarding probably probably get into skateboarding too now i have this um this methodology that uh actually maybe i'll talk about that more on the help yourself show but basically the idea here with this methodology is that you, um, how do I put it? It's called the snowball challenge. And the idea behind the snowball challenge is that each day, just like a snowball uh, grows in size as it rolls downhill, 
each day that you take take play take part in the snowball challenge what you're doing is you are increasing the amount of time you're doing the activity by just one minute every day until you get to whatever your breaking point is now the point of doing this isn't necessarily that it's going to be um what's the word it's not going to necessarily be sustainable long term and honestly that's not really the point anyway the point is instead of instead of worrying about if it's sustainable it's more just for the fun of the challenge there's also a, a terminology that, that I've heard used, which is uh, moving the needle. And the idea is you are doing things that, uh, again, aren't sustainable, but what they can do is they can show you uh, what is possible, what levels you can get to on a consistent basis eventually if you keep going down this path. So that's a lot, and I'll probably get into it more on the on the Help Yourself podcast, but kind of, I guess the essence of that is, I think either with, with, with the tech decks or with skateboarding, what I'm going to do is try that snowball challenge where I, you know, day one, only got to skate for a minute. Day two, you got to skate for two minutes. Day three, three minutes. Day four... Each day, it gradually increases, and uh, I guess I'd like to just go for as long as I can, but I just, you know, it it really is amazing when you're younger, when you, you can want to do something, just inherently want to do it, and it's not even like, I'm getting this done with. Like, when I would skate when I was younger, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I would think, oh, I got to get skate practice in. It was just, hey, I, I just, I love to do this. I'm going to go do this. It was all for the fun of it. And I wish I could, uh, get back there we'll see but i guess the two of course you know video games and stuff like that does that even count for me like those are things well you know i'm not discounting them i love to do them but are they too just broad to be hobbies because i guess i'm thinking of hobbies as other extracurricular things anyway i do like video games love mario odyssey I would recommend it to everyone in the world. It's for the Nintendo Switch. Um, future hobbies, I don't know, guitar, woodworking, maybe both of those things. Um, fidget spinner collecting. <laughs> Remember when they sold those everywhere? It's like Razor scooters. So in like... 2002 razor scooters were the shit 
in 28, 2017, fidget spinners were the shit. So, in 2020, no, in like 2025, maybe Razor scooters with fidget spinner wheels will be the shit. Fisher Price sells fidget cubes. So, yeah, hobbies. They're the only thing keeping you alive. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe. Okay, we're back to the interstitial segments of True Life Not Doritos. And I have to say that I really wish that I had had some matcha tea, matcha tea just now. Because I'm running low on energy. But here's the stupid thing, right? I could just take a break. And I could drink that matcha tea. Now here's kind of what I'm hoping. I'll be honest. What I'm kind of hoping is that I will get this show back on the air. And then... Maybe previous... Uh, people that I've worked on the show with uh, will be interested in coming back eventually. I don't know. You know, I, I'm th maybe if I, you know, actually get my shit together and, and can, you know, do this consistently and can even prove to myself that I, that I, I can do this show consistently, then that will be the thing to maybe turn this around. Or maybe I won't turn it around. Maybe it will be uh, one more thing to put on the list of uh, my failures. I should do a show talking about my failed uh, ventures as a so-called comedian. Um, I want to make a, a, a documentary about myself called A Decade of Failure. Just about my comedy career. But the thing is, you know, I can't really blame anybody but myself for where I am in comedy. Although it sure is easy to do that, to blame other people. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to, I did enjoy the show in the past when I would do it with, you know, with other people. I wouldn't always, you know, personalities would clash sometimes, but... I did like having kind of a show to uh, speak to other people, you know. My friend Justin called in in the past, but uh, something happened with him, and he's never been heard from since. No, I don't know. Maybe he thought the show sucked. Maybe, I don't know what the deal is, but... He's a person who really goes in and out of my life. I've thought, you know, I've I've considered having my friend Christian come on the show. I don't know that he really is it has any interest in it, to be honest. 
Um, which, it's fine, you know. Not everybody likes to do it. Um, see, I would have... Eh, I'll see what happens. I don't know. If I can get somebody and I can do the show with them and they'll enjoy it, or, or at least if we have a decent, some kind of decent rapport, then, then I'd love to do that. So, how about we go to help yourself? I'm gonna put some, some tea on the pot. All right. Wait, what the fuck? All right, here we are. Can you hear every creak in my chair? So I got that tea on the machine here. Not here, in the kitchen. I got some matcha tea pods for my Keurig coffee machine. I knew a burp was coming. So... Um, oh, like I said, I think I want to do help yourself. Okay, so let's do that at 74 minutes. I'm just telling that to myself. Hold on one moment. Okay. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry. Let me put my headphones on. I thought my coffee was going to, or my tea was just going to take two seconds to dispense since the machine was already uh, heated up. But it took longer, so... Um, so let's actually start this help yourself segment at uh, 75 minute mark here. I should do a different accent for every show. Wouldn't that be nauseating? Welcome to help yourself. Help your damn self. It's not my job, right? But I want to help you anyway. Because I care about you. You matter. And it might sound like I'm being sarcastic. Because I'm saying it in a facetious way. But you are important. And why do I say that? Do I say that just to kiss your ass? Probably. But either way, regardless of what I think about you, 
Um, I don't even know you. Helping yourself is a good skill to have. Uh, it's a broad way of referring to um, a lot of things, but one way you can take it is like helping yourself is about not just not just keeping yourself accountable but also well yeah it's like a personal responsibility type of thing and but that's that's not the whole picture i guess what i'm saying is you want a certain amount of autonomy a certain amount of control in your life but you also don't want to be the type of person who is so concerned with uh, doing it right themselves that you turn down help from other people. Help that actually would make you do better. But you can't accept it because of your ego or your your self-esteem. So there was an article actually, something like that. It was called something like sell, uh, low self-esteem, asking for help, something of that effect. So actually, uh, I'll actually... See if I can pull it up here while I'm talking about it. And I might actually... Uh, I was doing the TV Movie Experts show. Um, but I want to talk about this again. Because it's a mental health related thing too. Uh, which is... Uh, the Marie Kondo... Um, show on Netflix... Uh, there's an article about it in the Telegraph, and this might have some mental health uh, aspect. Or what, what's a better word? Because when people hear mental health, they think of mental illness. Self-improvement, I guess we'll go with the term self-improvement. Is that better? So this article from the Telegraph is titled, The Hidden Cost of Marie Condoing Your Entire Life. In parentheses, there's a dark side to decluttering. So I'm just going to guess here that uh, the dark side, so to speak, is if you go to too much of it, um, an extreme, if you become too obsessive about it, or maybe the fact that uh, you throw out things that you actually need later. Let's see if that's what we find here. So it's, uh, it's by Karen, the great Karen Yossman. Of all, it's, I'm joking there, I don't know who that is. Of all the self-improvement fads that have gripped the nation this month, among the v, among them V-January, Dry January, and Clothes Therapy, a moratorium on retail therapy. What does that word moratorium mean? Because I always... I always hear that word. I always, I mean, I don't always, I don't talk to people that much to, to hear things that they say. 
But uh, let, let's see what it means here. And you're probably like, oh, I could pull it up in two seconds. Uh, we'll go do that, asshole. Why don't you go... <laughs> I searched Morningstar. What, what what the hell was I looking up here? Um, well, <laughs> Morningstar is a, is a brand of food. It's like veggie food. <laughs> Why did I think of Morningstar? Oh, moratorium. Okay, at least it had more in the title. Alright, moratorium. It's like when you run out of auditorium and you need more of it. Okay, a prohibition of an activity. That's what I kind of thought, but I didn't understand it in the concept. Uh... Clothes, sobri- oh, it's a moratorium, okay, I got it, I thought it was a, okay, whatever, I'm stupid, that's the moral of the story, um, yeah, dry January, clothes, sobriety, none could possibly be more wholesome than Con Marie, the gentle, um, wait, her name is Marie Kondo and her method is called Con Marie, that's a little self-obsessed, right, uh, the gentle, uh, decluttering method conceived by Japanese tidying guru Marie Kondo and I was telling my girlfriend by the way I was saying like if this woman wasn't like Asian and could make me feel like she had this this uh, ancient Chinese or Jap Japanese I guess uh, Zen wisdom you know it, it total it's like it's totally playing into our our belief that Asian people are all-knowing. I mean, maybe they are, but I don't, I don't want to be racist with my compliments. So, um, the Netflix series has had viewers reaching for the bin bags in droves. What the fuck is a, uh, it's a British article? I guess a trash bag. Um... After all, how far wrong can you go with a philosophy predicated on keeping only the possessions that spark joy? So that is that is true. Um, I've heard that complaint before, where people will say, so you're telling me that I should throw out anything that doesn't spark joy? Well, does a shovel spark joy? Because I still needed to dig holes, even if it doesn't make me joyous, you know. So that that part of it is weird, but I'm of the mindset that even if only 2% of somebody's message is useful, that's fine. Just take that 2% and use that. I don't have to think that this woman is a guru or a genius if I just use a little bit of her approach. I mean, she might be crazy with a lot of the things. Like, for example, that Wild Wild Country documentary. That guy, uh, Osho, um, I forget what his other name is, but is it Rajneeshi or something? Um, yes, it was like a crazy sex cult and all this stuff, but 
I think he probably had some real messages in there, even if it was a small amount, because it seemed like he was somewhat doing it in earnest. Although he did have like 77 Rolls Royces, so I don't know about that. Um, speaking of Netflix, that's a great series on Netflix you should check out too. It's Wild Wild Country. Uh, it's not a ser- it's a one season documentary uh, series type thing. A serial documentary, they might call it. So, uh, the Netflix show had viewers reaching for their trash bags. Uh, Let's start with the hidden expense. Last spring, when I first embarked upon my Marie journey, which Kondo suggests approaching as a sprint, but was more akin to a painstaking ascent over a Himalayan mountain of junk. I decided that winter clothes no longer sparked joy. Condo's litmus test for whether an item stays or goes, and accordingly binned all my thermals, trousers, and most of my jumpers. I guess she threw them out. Which was fine until October when temperatures began to plummet. Okay, so that is what this person is saying, which is basically, I thought I was doing the right thing. By following her rule, which was, if it doesn't spark joy, throw it away, or give it away, whatever. And she thought, well, you know, these thermals, these pants aren't make, uh, these jumpers aren't making me joyous. So she throws them out, and then it comes around winter. She's like, shit, what am I gonna wear in this cold? Although, you know, arguably it's it's not the book's fault because maybe she should have thought about that. But it is confusing because this woman, Marie, Con- what was it, Marie Kondo, she was, you know, she, she said, you know, get rid of things that don't spark joy. But the thing about that is what she did not say was, she also said, it will take time to develop your sensitivity to joy. Now, doesn't that seem... I hate to take a word out of the social justice warrior playbook here, but doesn't that seem problematic? The idea that she's saying, throw out things that that don't spark joy, and by the way, it might take you a while to to detect joy so you're throwing things out you know like i don't feel any joy and you find out later shit maybe there was joy there and maybe i just didn't know how to feel it so although maybe people are taking it too literally like for example i have this quote and i actually need to put it back on my phone but it's it has been very helpful and it's actually a quote from a uh, from from an owner, I think, of a of a supermarket, and they had it on their wall in the supermarket, and I think it was a quote from. Let me see if it's Robert Wegman. It's a, from Wegmans, and I may have mentioned it on the show before, but I've I whenever I can remember, whenever I get a new phone. Um, or if I reset a phone, whatever the situation is, I try and uh, re-download that image and then make it my 
like lock screen photo. And so here's a quote. It's never think about yourself. Always help others. So that's an example of a quote where if you interpret it in its rigid form, uh, the idea of never thinking about yourself and always helping others. Can you hear my dry mouth noise? I hate it. So if you take it, you know, straightforward, if you take it 100% literally, and you say, oh, I should never care about myself. I matter. So that's not how I take it. I still find use from this quote. But the way I take it is, you know, I personally think about myself too much. And I'm too worried about how I feel sometimes compared to how other people feel. So when I see this quote, what it, it sometimes gets me to do is make that little extra effort um, to just, you know, put a little more effort out there to, to help the people around you. Because it's very um, tempting and also ultimately frustrating if you get too caught up in only trying to make yourself happy the irony there is that when you're caught up only with the goal of making yourself happy you're not happy and i think the reason you're not happy is that part of uh our genuine desire as human beings, you know, you could say, uh, you know, we have violence built into us so that we can, you know, protect our families and things like that if we need to. Um, but ultimately, oftentimes, it just feels good to help people. And that's the best. I mean... I guess you could say, well, if you're only going to help people when it feels good to you, then are you really going to do it? But I guess the point is, all right, so let me let me see if I have that there now. Okay, no, I put it I put it the wrong way. I'm supposed to set it as my lock screen here, and I set it as my regular background. So let me let me switch that. I'm putting that again. That um, Robert. Wegman's quote um, as my background here. Ooh, oh, there we go. Okay, lock screen. I'm going to change my lock screen. The reason I put it on my lock screen instead of my home screen is that uh, I, ju I just feel like if, if you do it that way, what the fuck, man? Oh, there we go. No, 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 come on. This is great podcasting, great radio, good stuff. There we go. All right, so again, the quote is, never think about yourself, always help others. And again, I know it's it's an ext it's ex an extreme saying. It's It's like... But it's an, I need 
I think I kind of need some of that extremism just to get me off of my ass. That's right. To go back to what we were talking about with uh, Marie condoing your life. Um, so she, she decided to, uh, get rid of her thermals, her trousers, and her other winter clothes, um, which was fine until October when temperatures began to plummet. Because while in many ways, Con Marie what uh, does indeed deliver on its promise of domestic nirvana it uh in every wit in which way in which ugh, i can't read uh domestic nirvana in which having a dedicated place for every last bureau tweezer and hair bobble results in a kind of metamorphic serenity it doesn't always mesh well with the practicalities of daily life. Are you shitting me? This telegraph... This telegraph website is one of those sites you gotta, like, sign up for their crap. This is bullshit, man. It's bullshit, I tell you. I'm going to whisper for the rest of the show because I'm a, cause then I'm an upset gay man. And they're going to dig this up when I'm famous and say, you're Kevin Hart of the 22nd century. I don't know. Um, hmm. I, I saw a video before, but I can't find it now. But basically, the idea was that like people with low self-esteem tend to not be good at asking for help because and and so the ways that they do ask for help tend to actually push them put them in a worse decision or at the very least does not get them the help that they need man this i haven't even taken a sip of my tea and i already I'm already feeling it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll try and find that self-esteem article in the future. And, you know, check out that, that cleaning show, I guess. And I'll have more to talk about cleaning and, and such. But uh, this has been Help Yourself. I hope that it helps you help yourself. Thanks for listening. All right, so what else are we going to do here? We've got Oh Jesus. We've got This Podcast is Art. And we've got Tools Talking Tools, to name a few. And maybe uh, I'll figure out what the rest of the shows are at some point. I know there's still more, but without looking at the list, I'm just kind of trying to take some guesses.
So, let's see. I guess I'll do market yourself. So let's do that at the 96 minute mark here. Welcome to Market Yourself. This is a show that obviously, you guessed it, it helps you market yourself or yourself. Whatever colloquialism you prefer. I don't even think I used the word colloquialism correctly. So here we are. This is Market Yourself, and it's a show about marketing. Getting things out there. So for me, one of the things that I've been doing as of late has been promoting my YouTube channel, Hostbusters. And uh, the way that I've been doing it has uh, been by posting it on other people's channels. Posting the links to the videos that I'm making about people. Oftentimes, I will... So, like, like when I made the Red Bar video and the Beige Frequency video and the Owen Benjamin video and the Cyan Z video, um, you know, I posted it on their pages, hopefully, to get people to see it. And... The people from uh, Red Bar's show, I guess the fans of his show, since he talked about it on the show, then went to my channel um, and watched the video. And I'm kind of like, see, I got all excited because in January, like January 1st, New Year's, um... I was I was spamming some of these uh, YouTube channels with excuse me <laughs> with information about with links to the videos I made about them. I'd say like the title of the video and then the link and and I'd say watch this video on my channel. So I post the Owen Benjamin one and his videos and the other ones on other videos. Beige Frequency asked me to stop doing it. So I said, you know, he asked me to stop doing it. I'll stop doing it. But I was excited initially because I'm like, I, the, the views just kept growing and growing from that Mike David uh, Red Bar guy. So I got up to like 888 views from, you know, basically 20 views. So it's like it, it started growing a bunch, but then it stopped. And so I'm in a place where it's like, I'm not sure if I should jump back in and and start going after Red Bar more because he started like talking about me on his podcast. Should I should I be reacting to that? And I'm not really sure. So this isn't the, you know, the best, nicest way to market but sometimes just spamming your message out there can i guess get the get the job done um and so basically how i've been doing it has been if, if anybody 
says like stop doing that i will stop but i will wait until somebody tells me to stop spamming them before i decide to go ahead and stop so again it's like i kind of feel guilty about what i'm saying but fuck them it's not the end of the world it's not that big of a deal but i do need to figure out other ways to get that channel out there stickers maybe Maybe I should make a list of, like, things you shouldn't do that will alienate your customers. Hmm. Let me take a sip of this tea here. Matcha tea. So, I don't know. Pay some Instagram influencers. Would that work? Again, uh, actually, I didn't say it before, but because I'm kind of ramping back up again, getting these shows out there, doing more to, you know, bring it back. Some of these some of these short episodes are a total crapshoot because I have next to no preparation, but kind of the point here was just to get the ball rolling again. And rolling it is. So, yeah, market yourself. I kind of, one of the things that does interest me about marketing is some of the more clever ways that things are done. Like, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but one of the most common things out there is the the phrase, treat yourself. You will see treat yourself in advertisements from company after company after company. Whether it's a clothing store or a food company or, you know, in in an ad that you get in your email from some random company. Treat yourself is a, it's a very common thing that people say and the reason for it is it's, it's like they're giving you permission. You're like, you know, I shouldn't get this new phone. But I've been a good person. I should treat myself. Or, you know, I don't really have the money for the watch. But it is. it has been a while since I treated myself. I deserve it. It's basically a way to get you to tell yourself, you you deserve to buy it. It's like fake empowerment that's really there just to get you to buy shit. And it's brilliant. Um, and maybe you should use it yourself. I've thought it would be an interesting thing just to have a company called Treat Yourself. The Creaky Chair Show. I also think in marketing that people are even more influenced by the visual element of products. They're even more influenced by that, the visuals, than they even think. 
for example, I think a company like Apple, honestly, it, half of their popularity is just the visual design of their products. Um, not even the inner, not even, you know, how well they work or anything. Just the fact that they're glass, steel, or aluminum, all these premium materials, not, not crappy plastic, none of that stuff. Uh, rounded, perfect edges, milled aluminum, like, just, just, you know, really beautiful stuff. And, uh, kind of like a technology jewelry company. Well, now that they sell watches, they truly are uh, a jewelry company. But anyway, I guess the point is that when you don't have substance, at least you can make things look nice. So that's a little approach there. So thanks for listening to Market Yo Self. Tell me about your marketing journey. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so that was 104... 46. So we've got Oh Jesus, we've got This Podcast is Art, and we've got Tools Talking Tools. So what do we want to do here? Let me think about it. All right, let's see what we got here. We're, I'm going to try and go, what the fucking hell, man, what's going on here? Why is this doing this? Hold on. Yeah, so, like I was saying, like I, like I was saying, what the fuck is up with this audio, man? Audio. What's up with the audio? Okay. Alright, just, just some technical BS just happened, that's all. We're back to the show here, and uh, let's see. We're going to do... I'm going to try and get through all the shows. We'll see if that works, or if I can pull it off. I don't see why I can't. But, uh, like I was saying, <clears throat> just a little... Running a little little low on content for this one only because it's you know you would think well you haven't done a show in forever shouldn't you be prepared no because i just decided to jump back into it today so yeah that's i'm getting into it definitely need a more soundproofed setup or i don't know change the settings on the microphone or something because it's um it seems like every little sound is being picked up and i always thought like radio microphones were supposed to capture what's you know close to you not things off in the distance so i think what i'd like to do now is to do uh, crazy tech news so let me pull up my technology thing let me start this show and then we'll uh, we'll get into it let's see here
crazy tech news. Okay, so 108 minute mark here. Is it annoying, by the way, to for me to announce like, oh, we're at 108 minutes. We're at 200 minutes. Is that just stupid? Well, anyway, let's get into this. Welcome back to Crazy Tech News. It's been... Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I was just recording the show and then it shut... It cut out of the uh, thing for some reason. Let me... Let me let me start a, uh, start again with this crazy tech news thing. So we're going to go the 109 minute mark instead. I just randomly... I'm recording this, by the way, on, on the Tape Talk app on my Chromebook, but it's the Android app. Uh, but now that the Android apps can... A lot of them can be run on Chrome devices. It's nice because... Now I can go back and use the apps that I like to use on mobile, um, a lot of them on desktop now. So that's what I'm using here. Welcome back to Crazy Tech News. This is a show where we talk about all the wild, wacky, and wonderful things in the world of technology. And believe me, there's a lot going on. I've got a little collection here of some stories, some technology uh, news stories for you. It's getting close to February, and on February 20th, the Galaxy S10 is going to be released. Um, there was a lot of criticism that... The Galaxy S9 was far too similar to the Galaxy S8. Um, when the Galaxy... It's interesting how things work because the Galaxy S8 was a pretty nice looking phone. In fact, it was one of the nicest looking phones in a while. But for some reason, it seems like it doesn't matter to people. Like... Okay, I'm still trying to find a good posture here, by the way. My, my thing's broken. Hmm. Let's see if this works. I just want like a good office chair and a good setup where the microphone is just the right distance. Because I, I tell you, bad posture just ruins a show. And you know what else ruins a show is, is spending... <laughs> the whole show talking about bad posture. So, you know, like I said, people were pretty disappointed when they found out that the Galaxy S10 is going, or the uh, Galaxy S9 looked so much like the Galaxy S8. Um, they're, you know, other than the Google Pixel, the Galaxy series is Apple's number one competitor in in phones. Uh, in fact, even more so than Huawei, which is a company that I believe uh, just uh, went up the list on the 
as far as companies selling the most devices. So that's uh, that's that's pretty interesting. And then Xiaomi, that's I don't know if it's Xiaomi or Xiaomi or Xiaomi or Xiaomi or Kill Me. I don't know which one of those it is. But uh, the Galaxy S10 is set to be unveiled on February 20th. And this time around, we're treated to a side-by-side -side look of the three differently sized and di and likely and evidently different spec'd versions of it. Is that how you spell spec'd with two C's? That is odd. S-P-E-C-C-E-D. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, left to right, it's the Galaxy S10 Lite, possibly called the S10e. And of course, there's the S10 and the S10 Plus. I thought there was going to be one called the S10X, but apparently not. The uh, code name actually was Beyond X. Like the code name for the S10 was Beyond X, and I'm guessing most. I think a lot of people are assuming that X is like iPhone 10, like the X and iPhone 10, like it's beyond the iPhone, basically. Uh, they should just call their phone Beyond the iPhone. Eh, that's stupid. Uh, the info that the light slash e version will only have two cameras while the other two variants will sport three has been floating around for some time isn't that interesting phones now if they have two cameras people are like well they only have two cameras it's like dude remember when cell phones had no cameras remember that shit remember it got to the point where Phones started having cameras, so then they were referred to as camera phones. It's like when iPods started becoming, being called iPod Video, and now, of course, any iPod. Well, first of all, who owns an iPod? But any, uh, any Apple portable device besides the low-end low, low -end iPhones, iPods, other than those, um, they all play video. It would be, I don't know, so they still make the iPod Shuffle? I'd like to check that out. I think they do. I actually had one of those that charged through the headphone jack. In, most interesting thing, in fact, I was thinking if, oh, well, that's, I should, actually, I should get back to this because I believe that the he there's a headphone jack let's get to it because you know i apple if you didn't know apple totally removed the headphone jack in uh from from their phones uh with the introduction of the iphone 7 every phone up to that point did have headphone jacks and then apple decided hey you know who cares screw it screw you and it's just like I don't know. It feels Apple has this thing where they decide that uh, what they want to do is better than what customers want to do. You know, there's that whole thing that Steve Jobs used to say would basically we tell our customers what they want. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, for example, Nintendo has a similar philosophy. And what they did was they put out the Nintendo Switch. And uh, nobody predicted that device coming. 
and it was the shit and it is the shit so i'm not saying that that philosophy is is always bad to kind of show the customer what they want but i think when it comes to removing important features arguably features that will be um considered out of date or or you know not useful anymore but the problem is apple tends to do these things like four or five years before they're actually viable you know they took out the i'm trying to remember they took out the the optical the disk drive on the laptops years ago i'm not sure exactly what year let's just say it was 2012. um so they took it out but optical discs you know cds dvds it's not like they just stopped being made um it just turned out that uh you had to buy an additional like usb super drive for like 70 dollars and plug it into your mac and so my kind of conspiratorial thing is that maybe apple is removing these things to sell you more things like for example when they take away the headphone jack sure you could use a dongle but then you can't charge and then you gotta have an extra dongle and you know the the removal of the headphone jack is as dumb or dumber than the word dongle i really don't know where that where that terminology started so uh what i want to find out is the last um last macbook with a headphone with a c with a yeah with a cd drive i guess People are going to say, well, actually, it went to a DVD drive in 2010. It's like, shut up. It's still a DVD, CD drive. Um, it says, uh, yeah, it looks like 2012 was basically the last year that they... Somebody said a model from the old days when Apple cared about its pro line, pro line. Rest in peace. The draft for this article was written four years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> what? Um, oh, because it's it's talking about twenty fucking twenty twelve. Actually, I wonder, can you still get that MacBook on Apple's website? Cause that'd be kind of cool, like. Uh, one of the things that, and I know we're on like a ridiculously long tangent here, but by the way, the the Apple Super Drive, at least in that article, it was saying it was it was like eighty dollars. And really, the removal of the CD drive, the reason that that's such a slap in the face is that they didn't remove it when. Uh, all software had gone the way of uh, digital, you know? Think about it. Even the PlayStation 4 Pro and the um, Xbox 
One X. Those are the latest versions of those consoles, and they're, they're, they're if they remove the optical drive, people would say "fuck you, goodbye." And I feel like people have been um, conditioned with Apple to say, "No, actually, I uh, I'm okay with it." There was a person I worked in Best Buy, and there was a person who said, "You know." Because so you have to when you buy the iPad Pro, you have to buy the uh, if you want the Apple Pencil, they're like advanced stylus. If you want that, you have to um, buy the 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 Apple Pencil separately for a hundred dollars. And I said to the customers, you know, I pro- maybe I shouldn't have said this, but I said to the customers, you know, isn't it fr- isn't it frustrating? Isn't it ridiculous that you have to buy that separately? That, that, that that's not included in your $800 tablet, and they're like, no, it's great marketing, you know, it's brilliant. It's like, I'm not talking about this from a business shareholder standpoint. I'm talking this about this as a human being standpoint. You really think that they deserve extra money um, because they found a good way to rip off consumers? I mean capitalistically speaking if that is a phrase um sure it makes sense but why is that good for people and why when do we get to this point where we we respect companies more than humans now look if if i was if i found a way to get hired at apple i would take the job i mean it would have to be obviously a job that i could do but I like it, you know. I'd work at, at at Apple. I'd work at Google. Imagine if they're like, you know, going through the process of hiring you at the Apple Store um, or at Apple headquarters, whatever. Let's be more realistic. Probably the Apple Store, um, and not as a genius, just as one of the floor people. That's what I call homeless people: is floor people. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I'm just playing here, uh, but yeah. So so imagine if they went back through my podcast, like, well, we found that you said some negative things about the iPhone or a- Apple, so we're not going to hire you because of the words you said on the True Life Not Doritos podcast. Uh, but it is funny. We wanted to let you know the podcast is entertaining and interesting and funny. We just don't like the words you're saying about Apple. And then eventually they're like, you know what? And I'm and I'm like, I'll stop making the podcast if you guys don't hire me. And they're like, well, we do enjoy the humor, um, and we would we would hate to see such a show disappear. So please, please continue your podcast, insulting the shit out of us. I'm looking at the iPad Pro here. It's fucking gorgeous. What was I look? Was I looking something up on the website? All right, well, I'll get back to my Macspiracies or my Compspiracy. Conspir- <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something good. You ever... Okay, so... Yeah, let me get back to this Samsung thing. You know, my issue here when I'm doing a show is I'm, like, vomiting, like, 50 thoughts a minute. And they all want to come out at the same time. And when they all come out at the same time, 
they get jumbled and mixed up and confused. So that's not a good way to do it. So let's get back to this Samsung thing. The show already in progress. It wouldn't be a big Samsung announcement. Oh, that's the fast forward noise. Um, while the other two variants will sport three cameras. Uh, now, however, it has been revealed that the most affordable Galaxy S10 will skip the heart rate sensor on the back. That's precisely what the missing bit next to the flash is. It's another no-show after the in-display fingerprint reader. The renders don't reveal much else. There's the Bixby button on all three versions. The cutout layout says 3.5mm headphone jack on the bottom right. Good for you guys. Keep it going, please. When looked at uh, from the back, as in on the S9, I guess they're saying the headphone jack's in the same position as it is on the S9. Uh, relative sizes will correspond to the previously rumored 5.8 inch, 6.1 inch, and 6.4 inch diagonal. Stop honking, I'm doing a podcast, you jack off. Um, 6.4 inch diagonals. Let's see what else remains to be revealed over the remaining one month until announcement. So, um, so yeah, they're saying that the S10e is not going to have the fingerprint sensor in the screen. And I, what I can't tell, however, is uh, whether or not it's going to have it on the back. It sounds like people are saying that it won't even have it on the back. Um, so I, sh I showed my girlfriend this phone and asked her what she thought of like the the cutout. Now, I don't really have a good scale on this, but when I'm looking at the, the front of the phone, uh, Samsung is not doing the, the notch thing with their phones. You know, if you paid attention to recent LG, Motorola, Apple, uh, Essential, uh, OnePlus, Xiaomi, um, just to name a few companies that are doing this kind of notch thing where they put a, a notch in the top of the screen, which means basically you have almost like bunny ears on the left and right of the, uh, of the screen. And then the, you know, the part that comes down and it, it's just a goofy look. So instead of that, what, uh, Samsung is doing is they're doing, uh, what they're calling the, the infinity O and what the infinity O display is. It's kind of like, and again, I don't know the size on this, but the idea is it's kind of like on, uh, it's kind of like a hole punch type of deal. So like imagine if you took a hole puncher and somehow punched a hole in the screen of your smartphone and then in that hole is where you put your camera. So it's, it's almost, you think of it almost like how, let's say you're watching a show and it'll say like, and at, uh, <clears throat> like NBC or ABC in the bottom like left or right corner. It's it's small enough I think that if you're watching a video you'll get over it. Look, ideally there wouldn't be a, even a dot on the front screen, but it's amazing where we are with this. It's like phones are so good that a lot of our focus now is just making them as beautiful as possible. Um I remember 
when when the earlier iPhone, I would, I mean the uh, Galaxy, I would say anywhere from the Galaxy S5 and earlier, they're they they were doing some interesting things with the visual design uh, of the device and the and everything with the devices. But when the Galaxy S6 came out, I was like, you guys finally brought your design and quality. Uh, up to the level of Apple, you raise the bar. Fucking ever since the, I believe ever since the S6 came out, every uh, Galaxy phone has had a glass back with like an aluminum shell uh, on the, or you know, aluminum around the edges. So really nice, really, definitely took some some things from the Apple playbook, but much better than the rubbery or plastic. Uh, materials of the previous ones now I'm not saying that no phones should be made that way because guess what not everybody can afford to buy these expensive shiny glass aluminum things you know the phone I'm holding right now is a Moto G6 Play and it's made uh, the the entire body of it is made of plastic not the front of course it's glass on the front but uh, you know it is what it is. The, I actually like the phone, except for the fact that the, 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 the speakers are fucked up. But other than that, it's pretty good. I would like to get a... Um, maybe... Uh, see, I don't know. Maybe I, would I go with the S6? Even though the S10 is coming out. Uh, would I go with the S6? See, because if you look at it one way, it's like people who get the S10 um, have to wait until the S11 if they want to get the newer, better Galaxy. But if I start with the Galaxy S, S6, sorry, just doing some stretches here. If I started with the Galaxy S6, then I could still look forward to upgrading to the S7. And then the S8, and then the S9, and then the S10, and then the S11. So, let's see. If I got the um, S6, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I thought of it in the sense that, like, if you bought the, if you never owned the PS3, and then you bought the PS3 when the PS4 came out, it's like, that's your new system. And then, you know, when people upgrade to the PS5 and you get the PS4, then that's your new new system. <clears throat> now, the only thing that sucks about that, really the, the main thing that sucks about that is that when you don't upgrade to the latest gaming system and you have friends who want to play games with you, they might say you know fuck this uh we i can't play with you on the latest newest call of duty on the on the ps4 then guess i can't play with you yeah okay i have call of duty ghosts for the ps3 but i don't want to play that with you you know that type of thing um i may have just made up a scenario that nobody can relate to but i kind of like it so i'm just looking at some more this devolved from crazy tech news to crazy, boring Brian stories. 
but you know that has a nice ring to it as well um samsung's uh light model will actually be called galaxy s10e i know this is about the same thing but this is a different article um at&t's uh, may maybe this will actually be interesting at&t has decided to rebrand um uh what okay uh, let me I, i'm not really understanding this article so let's get into it and why am i stammering i'm a professional broadcaster with 48 years in broadcasting i've been broadcasting since since my parents were born um I'm the soul of Howard Stern when he used to be funny. Um, no, I'm not going to call myself funny. Is there anything worse than hearing people like, like an Opie or Anthony from Opie and Anthony? Look, if you're young people, you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But they've both called themselves funny on multiple occasions. And I think that's one of the most disgusting things you can do besides telling people how attractive you are. That's also, Especially if you are attractive and you say it, ugh. It's, it's bad either way. If you're really ugly and you insist that you're attractive, that's disgusting in a delusional way. If you are attractive and you talk about how you're attractive, that's disgusting because you're a self-centered douche and you're also making us all feel inferior. So yeah, technology. AT&T will say you have 5GE on your 5, 4G phone because marketing trumps truth. Maybe you heard about AT&T's new 5G network and thought, hey, 5 is more than 4, so it's clearly better. You know, it's so funny because that is true. People fucking, people are obsessed with numbers. Um, I believe that's why the, that's why when the PlayStation, that's why the, the PlayStation is the only system out there that has a numbering system. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, PlayStation consoles have never been that mysterious with their with their naming structures, um, which I think is kind of smart. I'm trying to, it's like nowhere nowhere to put my phone down without making a ruckus. Um, I got that mouth noise that people reading audiobooks that really annoy me make um mm. so yeah so the I, this really is like a gaming show but i just want to say this quick when the ps3 came out xbox didn't call their console xbox 2 because 2 was a lower number than 3 now nintendo probably didn't do it because calling the console the um yeah, if they called it the GameCube 2. But they also didn't have a, a history of doing that. Uh, what would the net... What if the GameCube was... Anyway, the point is, people... They thought people would say, see, oh, the Xbox 2 or the PS3. 3 is a bigger number than 2. I'm going to go with the 3. So... People are simple like that. In fact, I was going to sell a guy a computer... When I worked at Staples, and uh, it would, you know, just, just simple, basically, 
every uh, the majority of computers out there, desktop, Windows uh, computers, uh, even Macs, uh, they use Intel processors for the most part, and Intel uh, Intel makes three, actually four now, but when I worked there, they made three main processors for most uh, laptop and desktop computers, which were uh, the Intel Core i3, the Core i5, and the Core i7. Um, so if you can guess, the i7, the highest number, typically the most powerful, i5 more powerful than i3 most of the time. There's other factors. You know, there's, 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 there's dual core, quad core, octa core, if they make those in those processors. But the point is, I was selling a guy, a guy's previous computer was like a, whatever, let's say it was an HP Pavilion um, with an Intel i7, but let's say it was a 2010, okay? Now he's getting a computer back in uh, 2015, which was, you know, five years after 2010. And in that time, computers had gotten, you know, faster. Processors had gotten significantly faster. So his old computer, it was an i7, right? Had an Intel i7 processor. Now the new computer I was going to sell him had an i5 processor. But it was still a faster computer, the newer one because the i7 processor was an older generation. So I was explaining this to the guy, and he even said, you know, I understand that it's, it's probably faster, but I can't do it mentally. And I thought that was so interesting, because even though he could see that it was ridiculous, it still had an effect on his brain. And so I think sometimes when advertisers... When we say things like, ah, oh, these advertisers are insulting our intelligence. What the fuck? I just got a text. You know, say like, these advertisers are insulting our intelligence. Uh, they really think we're going to fall for this? And uh, it's like, well, it seems like even, people, even if people are aware of the tricks at play, they're still fooled by them. Like the, the old trick of 499 makes people think of the number four not the not the number five which really it's five dollars not not really four dollars um so even though you know that i think just visually seeing the number four um makes it less confusing so yeah so that was uh, my little anecdote about um how people can be tricked by numbers when it comes to marketing. I'm drinking some delicious matcha tea, of course. That's what the T in TLND stands for these days is tea. Um, maybe you heard about AT&T's new 5G network, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you're anxiously waiting to have 5g on your phone good news it's coming way sooner than you might have expected only it's not actually 5g confused that's exactly where at&t's marketing department wants you first off 
let's clarify the carrier's 5G network is real but is only going to be available in a very limited number of places at first as with all new mobile technologies also there is not one 5G capable handset on the market right now sure a bunch of those will probably be announced at CES but the rollout of both the 5G network and devices to support it will take time. And yet 5G is shaping up to be by far the biggest buzzword of 2019. So what is a carrier to do in order to jump right into the hot, that hot action? Well, AT&T thought up a nice trick. It's called 5GE and it's not 5G. How is that allowed? How is that obvious and deliberate deception allowed? If you're an expert, please call in. I don't have the call-in line actually set up. Uh, Maybe I'll do that in the future, but, you know, this is what it is right now, folks. I shouldn't say folks. Josh Jack thinks I stole that from him, probably. I'm just teasing. Josh, come back on the show. Don't be silly. Life's too short. Yeah, we made fun of each other. I made fun of you. You made fun of me. Just let's get our shit together. Come on. Um, also, there is not one 5G-capable handset on the market right now. Sure, a bunch of those will probably be announced at CES, but the rollout of both the 5G network and devices to support it will take some time. Blah, 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 blah. I just copied what I said. Seriously, uh, 5GE is actually 4G with 4x4 MIMO and 256QAM. I vaguely know what those things are. And uh, I haven't optimized my setup yet to where I can just look things up for you um, as I'm doing the show. But, you know, let's try here. So, it's called 5GE, and it has MIMO. Now, I I vaguely remember this MIMO or MIMO um, terminology uh, when I worked... When I worked at Staples, the uh, it had something to do with Wi-Fi, I believe, but I don't know much uh, beyond that. Uh, multiple input, multiple output, is a method, aka MIMO, is a method of multiplying the capacity of a radio link using multiple transmission and receiving antennas. To exploit multi-path propagation. MIMO has become an essential element of wireless communication standards. And... What? And, uh... Sorry, I thought I heard somebody talking. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 got that. It's basically... Using multiple antennas. I don't know if they're saying there's four antennas here. Um, I, I, I admit... I should get more educated on that. Let me see. This is an education tech lesson for myself. Okay, so let's save that. 
and then QAM. Let's see what that is. Because I, I, I've heard of Mimo before, but I've never heard of QAM. This is the Google show. All right. Where we Google things. It's qua oh, nice. Big words. Quadrature amplitude modulation. It's the name of a family of digital modul modulation methods and a related family of analog modulation methods used in modern telecommunications to transmit information. It conveys two analog message signals or two digital bit streams by changing the amplitudes of the carrier waves. So, yeah, this is the type of shit my dad would probably know more about. He's, he knows more about frequency and amplitude and AM, FM, all that shit. So, whatever. Ah, uh, math and crap. I'll come back to it in the future, but uh, just a bunch of horse shit horse shit so anyway it's got that stuff it's saying it's the best iteration of 4g ever but it's still 4g never mind all that at&t exec said we'll just call it 5ge from 2019 onwards so there's literally nothing to do with 5g on it i don't even know what 5g stands for see see what kind of See what kind of expert you guys are dealing with here? A fucking dummy. Um, the initial rollout will cover a handful of devices. According to an AT&T spokesperson with more devices showing the indicator in spring 2019. Um, it's such... It, that's such a tricky, slippery thing. But we know, I mean, if you followed, if you have followed the saga uh, regarding net neutrality, then this really probably isn't all that new of an idea. The the idea that um, these these wireless companies like AT and T, Verizon, all that shit, uh, that they're they just suck. They're just mean. Carriers are just mean little, well, big companies that have us by the balls, and that's the problem. I wonder if they're reading our texts and... See, that's the thing. Look, Google isn't great, and Google is kind of, like that guy said, they're kind of an insulated, um, one-sided, kind of liberal company. That's all true. But they don't seem to be evil, at least in the way that these big company, these big carrier companies like Com uh, Verizon, well, Comcast too. I guess they do some kind of Xfinity wireless, but who the hell uses that? Uh, when I get the phone line set up again and I do some live shows, I'd like all of my Comcast or my the Xfinity mobile users to please call in and uh, I'll rate your, your phone quality and your life decision quality because what led you to, unless you have Xfinity at home, tell me why you chose, call in with any phone carrier of choice of yours and tell me why you chose it and have a good answer. 
preferably. If you call in, don't call in with stupid answers. I won't I won't punish you. I'll just be I won't be angry, I'll just be disappointed. That old thing. Yeah, I'm just I I I know this uh, segment is going longer than other ones, but I'm just kind of in the groove here, even if it doesn't sound like it. Um, all right, I'll save this article for the future. See, this is why it's good to have a show where. Uh, multiple people are speaking because then uh, you can kind of do some of this background stuff uh, while the conversation is happening. So there's no dead air. All right, let me, let me see if I got any other interesting things in my collections here with uh, crazy tech news. And I spoke to Josh when we when we did the show together back in the old days of remember the innocent days of True Life Not Doritos when me and Josh somewhat got along. That was interesting. So let's see. There's this new uh, monitor. I'll probably talk about that in a few. Let me let me just roll through some of these things or 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 just look through them hmm, facebook caught leaving five star reviews on amazon that is so rude but i'm not surprised if everybody does that shit doesn't make it right but i'm also not surprised by it um supposedly a new motorola razor is coming back uh that'll be interesting Let's see, uh, a new report says it's coming back as a foldable $1,500 phone. That's expensive. That's like expensive for an iPhone. I don't even know if there's an iPhone that expensive. It says, remember the Motorola Razor from the early 2000s? Yes, I do. It was the shit. It was the nicest. I'll be honest, I think it was the nicest looking phone pre-iPhone, pre-smartphone. Um, the Razer will be coming back as a phone with a foldable screen. So if you've seen those Galaxy, uh, devices, the, the ones in the works, there's a Galaxy, a foldable Galaxy phone where the screen folds. So I think Motorola is doing something really kind of smart here from a marketing perspective, which is that they're, you know, they're seeing that, Foldable screens are possibly the next big thing when it comes to smartphones evolving because we've kind of gotten in this stagnant situation where like basically every smartphone out there is a a candy bar style, a slate style where it, it doesn't fold or anything like that. So the idea of a foldable screen makes a lot of sense to couple that technology with a, fav- a, a very popular, iconic um, flip phone. Um, 
if they can make because because now there's a very useful reason why you know it's like do you really want a flip phone in 2019 if you have a cell phone problem and you you want to not be so distracted i guess that makes sense but if you want to stay in the smartphone game you probably don't really want a flip phone uh, but if something is a it has a foldable screen yes you're still folding it but once you open it up you've got a big ass screen so i hope that they find a way to um, make it really capture, you know, I don't expect it to look 100% like the old Razer, but if they could just capture some of the, the a decent amount of the vibe, the feel of it, the, the fun, it's weird to call it a retro device because it's still this fucking stainless steel beauty. Yeah, okay, technologically speaking, it has a low-res camera. It's running some crap operating system that was before phone operating systems were good. So all of that, but fucking shit, I would still use one in 2019. That's for sure. Especially if... You know, most of the day, I just was going to use it for texting or calling. So, alright, so this has been maybe a, a bit of a longer version of crazy technology news. Where are we at with time here? Looks like we're at 153, okay. All right, so thank you for listening to the show. It means so much to me. It really is good. I really, I'm, I sound like I'm joking, but I really do appreciate all the, all the things. Any viewer out there, I appreciate you. You are appreciated. So if you were going to kill yourself because you felt like you weren't with, worthwhile, you are. You're worthwhile. You're warming my heart. So thanks for watching. Okay. I said thanks for watching. It's an audio show. I'm used to doing my YouTube stuff, so it got me all screwed up. So, let's see. We can go to... Uh, I'm going to, you know, stick with a lot of the existing TLND shows. Uh, the True Life Not Dorito shows are... Um, What am I trying to say? Let me take a sip of water. Sponsored by water. You know, I just drink to get away from the pain of being thirsty. What if that was the truth? What if we all just drank to forget that we were thirsty? We think it's 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 quenching our thirst, but it's really just making us think, oh, I'm not thirsty. That's a little stoner thought out there. By the way, Josh fucking hates stoners. He thinks every stoner is a is a you know there's 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 people who are paranoid because of weed and there's people who are paranoid period. And I you know I don't know he he, he doesn't really smoke weed. Who cares? Should I add a weed show to this? 
I think that would be good, actually, some kind of weed show. Because the world is changing. The world is getting crazy with this weed stuff. Marijuana. So, uh, I don't... I don't know what to say about the weed thing. I mean, I guess I could, mm, I don't fucking even know. Okay. So much distraction on this damn phone. Maybe I should go with that Motorola Razor, because this thing's annoying. All right, let's, uh, we'll try it. The, see, the problem is people have already come up with things like the podcast and all that kind of stuff. Well, maybe I'll wait until I have some some articles related to it. <clears throat> so we're gonna do whichever show here has has the most material that I can dig into. It's a good, this is a nice uh, eight course meal of a podcast. It just keeps going. You're like, oh, I'm full. And then I'm like, I've got a nice, delicious, helping, help, helpful, heaping, helping, helping, heaping. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Nice heaping help. Yes, I was nice heaping helping of podcast. At this point, I don't even know what I'm talking anymore because I tripped up so much over my words. I got a tongue injury. Can you tell I haven't done stand-up in a while? That my best fucking line is about a tongue injury? <laughs> uh, as opposed to when I was a fucking genius on stage, you know. I'm not saying that. So, yeah, let's get into... Oh, Jesus. It's a very shocking name. You know... What the fuck? There's so much crap on the internet. Okay, let's uh, let's get started here. This is oh Jesus. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna get into this show at the 159 minute mark here, but while we're waiting for that to cue to roll up to cute roll up I'm not talking about the weed show anymore <clears throat> so <clears throat> i keep getting this weird like cause this tickle in my throat not tickle you ever get like your throat gets all um what's the word not froggy but you get you get a lump in your throat like you're nervous but the thing is i'm not really i'm not, I'm not really too nervous doing this show I, maybe i am Maybe I'm secretly falling apart inside and I just don't realize it. All right, so we're getting to 159.4321. Welcome back to Oh Jesus! It is the most sacrilegious podcast in the 48 contiguous states. I don't know about those people in Alaska those Satan worshippers, but the rest of the world, you know, the rest of the country, loves this podcast, but it is it is sacrilegious. 
But sacrilegious is not necessarily a bad thing, right? What What is the definition of sacrilegious? I know, um, what's his name from Full House? Bob Saget says he refers to sacrilegious as worshipping his sack, his ball sack. Oh, gr fucking great definition. Uh, I searched Google search sacrilegious and the it says adjective involving or committing sacrilege thanks shut up i get fucking phone calling asshole i'm so popular um synonyms profane no it's not come on all right so if sacrilegious is the act of committing sacrilege then what is sacrilege? Violation <clears throat> or misuse of what is guarded as sacred. So, if you insult my Nintendo Switch, which I consider my sacred video game console, is that sacrilegious? I guess it is. And for all this time, I thought that it only applied to religion, but I guess it applies to anything. So let's get into the meat of the show. This Google News thing is just too slow for its own good. You're not podcasting material, guys. I need some background music to play while I'm finding shit on my phone so that there's no dead air here. I don't know. Sometimes I think people are too paranoid about dead air. Like, I, uh, I'll talk about this on the regular part of the show. <clears throat> so it says, um, this is from fizz.org. Study finds simple explanation for endurance of religion. I think they're just saying religion as a whole, maybe. Oh, fuckers. Okay. So, study finds simple explanation for endurance of religion. It says, childcare can be expensive, stressful, and annoying to organize, but a universal of autogoled? study has found it may also be behind religion's resilience scholars have predicted the demise of religion for a long time but is it is not disappearing as quickly as anticipated following the collaborative study lead author dr john shaver of otago's religion program believes a contributing factor to that is that religious people are able to have larger families because they get more help looking after the children after their children than secular people okay so um okay so people thought it was going to disappear it hasn't disappeared as quickly and they're saying it's because uh people who are religious have larger uh are able to get more help looking after their families 
that's interesting because wouldn't that be more of a networking thing than a religious thing like you know you're meeting people at church maybe non-religious people just need to find their version of whatever church would be of course i've heard the argument well you know if you're an atheist and you organize then your atheism is your atheism is your religion um i don't know if i believe in that or not because the, uh and guess what why would you criticize atheists for organizing if your fucking religion does the same shit think about that is a classroom an organization god is dead change my mind steven crowder <clears throat> i don't know if he's religious but i wouldn't be surprised if he was so, while religion has been declining in New Zealand for decades, our findings point to a countervailing period, one that is driven by the cooperative breeding dynamics of religious communities. What the hell are cooperative breeding dynamics? Do they, like, hang out and show each other how to uh, have sex? That is what breeding is, after all, right? Um, co cooperate, cooperative help to mothers is one of the reasons for our success as a species. In modern environments, mothers receive far less help than in our recent past. Well, that's kind of fucked up. Uh, less help drives down fertility rates in modern environments. However... Religious mothers have more help and more children than secular mothers. Um, care to elaborate? Dr. Shaver says the New Zealand Attitudes and Values Study, a.k.a. Zavis, which is led by Professor Chris Sibley of the University of Auckland, enabled the researchers to access data from a large national sample <clears throat> whose population is roughly half religious and half secular. We found that religious people have more children and that non-productive uh, people who don't currently have their own children tend to look after children who are not their own more frequently than non-reproductive secular people yeah, but haven't you ever heard of the of of the phrase uh, correlation does not is not causation? Like, who knows why religious people like to watch after uh, <clears throat> after other people's children? I mean, I know why priests do it, but that's a different story. Um, our findings point to why religion is not disappearing as quickly as many have predicted. Religious people are able to have more children because they get more help with child care than sec secular people. I was almost going to say sexual people. Keep sexual people away from your children. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, we hope that our research draws attention to the impact of a person's religious behavior on core biological and sociological processes. Um, Joseph Bulbulia, uh, professor of, uh, co-author Professor uh, Joseph Bulbulia of Auckland, 
says the group's findings are consistent with evidence that religious people generally enjoy greater within-group within cooperation compared to secular groups. I'm not really sure what in-group uh, cooperation, within-group cooperation means. Can somebody explain this shit? What happens if I just highlight... Shut the fuck up, people. Um, I've never used this before. You can, like, highlight stuff, and then it'll Google it for you. I don't know. It, it's I don't know if this is a standard terminology. So let's let's push forward here. Though we think cooperative parenting explains only part of the puzzle of religious fertility, our result is an important first step for explaining a phenomenon that is vital for predicting the societies of the future. Okay? Another interesting finding from the study is that relative to New Zealanders of European descent, Maori and Pacific Islanders have more children, and people of Asian descent have fewer. Pacific Islanders also look after children who are not their own more frequently, while Asians engage in lower levels of cooperative childcare. So if that is the case, then I'm understanding it even less because now they're not just talking about religion. Now they're speaking about Asians and, uh, and what, New Zealanders? Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's just a separate finding in the study, I guess. Um, again, at a nationwide scale, this suggests that high fertility and cooperative parenting are broadly coordinated not sure what that th that means uh, across all ethnic groups though the effect of religion on fertility and cooperative parenting holds fertility how does it make you more fertile to be religious right that doesn't make any sense am i misunderstanding this this is the first of many studies the researchers have planned in particular they are interested in exploring the extent to which cooperative child care contributes to child well-being. Um, what the fuck are you guys talking about? I don't know. Sorry for the cussing, folks. There is, uh, this, this comes from us from CBC News. That's like... Canada's NBC or something, or their BBC, or ABC, uh, ABC, CBC, ABC, BBC, and CBC, we need a DBC, that's, come on, somebody work on it, Denmark, make Denmark Broadcasting Corporation, anyway, uh, worshipping hockey, art exhibit, celebrates the religion of the sport, religion in quotes, because we're not actually talking about Christianity and all that other shit. Um, a Montreal-based art show is taking the worship of hockey to the next level, even offering a confessional. <laughs> the exhibit, now at Windsor, Ontario's Art Site, Inc., is called the Temple of the Glorious. The multimedia art show was put together by artist Arthur de Marteau. Did my best to guess that. 
I guess it could also be pronounced Desmartiox. <laughs> There's no way that's what it is. Uh, attended the opening of the Windsor show on January 11th. Hockey is becoming a religion, said Desmarto. The religion, or the messenger of the good news, is the television with Hockey Night in Canada. The Montreal artist is also a puppeteer and printmaker. Huh. Uh, the, the, if I had a dollar for every time I met a hockey player who's also a puppeteer and a printmaker, boy, what, what the fuck would I do with that? I'd probably have two toonies and a loony. Uh, Marteau said the show is a dark humor piece that is also critical of different violent aspects surrounding the sport. Wow, that's interesting. The confessional part of the exhibit is called Exercise in Self-Mutilation. And a hockey coach screams what Marteau calls a motivational speech. The speech is bilingual. Is there a translator, or is he saying, like, I'm going to do one line as French, one line as English? Um, the main part of the exhibit is an altar where people are discouraged to place offerings, or encouraged to place offerings, but no cash. Instead, De Marteau is hoping people will bring their hockey knickknacks. Lucas Cabral, executive director at ArtSite, is... Excited about the exhibit that's kicking off its 2019 gallery season. Hockey was has made its way into the tiniest corners of homes, said Cabral, who was surprised at what people were putting on the altar. Things that have been dropped off so far include hockey pucks, mini Stanley Cups, towels, and troll dolls. People are really excited, said Cabral. It's a dynamic exhibition. People are really connecting to it. The exhibit features a stained glass piece and a photo montage. De Marteau said the largest painting in the exhibit is of a brawl. The Canada, uh, there's a lot of detail. It's very colorful. And I'm, so I'm looking at this picture. Wow, it is way, way less impressive than I thought. There's like an altar with a little TV, but it's tiny. We're not talking like a church altar. We're talking like a, like the size of the of a. It's like I don't know. Maybe it's not as small as a TV dinner table. It's more like the size of say of like a computer a computer desk and this tiny tiny ass room. Uh, uh, well, that's just the altar. Anyway, uh, the Canada Council for the Arts funded show runs until February 9th. So go check that out wherever it is. I just farted, but you couldn't hear it, which begs the question, why did I tell you? <laughs> so now we're going to the Yukla Yukia UKIH. I UKIAH. The Yukia Daily Journal. And this article is titled On Religion Why uh, Many Past Many Pastors Clueless When Swamped with Sex and Tech Issues. 
Well, if they had just checked out Giving Up on Sex and uh, Fun Education Tech Lessons, both shows on uh, this podcast network, then they could have been fixed. They could have figured everything out. Go check out Fun Education Tech Lessons and True Life Not Doritos. And check out Hostbusters while you're at it. If Daniel Weiss has learned anything about the small town of East Central Wisconsin, it's that folks in that region he calls home care about what they eat. Say buzzwords like organic, natural, and superfoods, and snap, people will organize fairs, farmers markets, farm-to-table workshops, and debates about whether local free-range chickens have healthy social lives. Well, that debate has been going on for years in my household. You can talk about fresh veggies and how important food issues are for their families. So wait, where is this? Mm. Uh, Weiss is the leader of the Brush Fires Foundation, a sexual integrity ministry. Based in Amro, Wisconsin. What the hell is a sexual integrity ministry? Well, I mean, if, if by sexual integrity they mean that they are not uh, having sex with children because they refuse to condone pedophilia like many other churches. And by condone, I don't mean they're like, oh, we love pedophilia. It's more like, eh, whatever. We don't want to, we care more about our church's message than, you know, the message of not fucking kids. But uh, I actually feel weird saying that because I'm thinking, is Google aggregating my words? And they're going to say, this is problematic language that Brian is using. I'm not trying to be edgy. I'm not trying to be. It's just a consequence of living a real life. Shoot me. So uh, you can talk about fresh veggies and how important. Oh, right. Sexual integrity. I wanted to find out what, what in the world that means. Sexual integrity. Oh. All right. This is this is based on. I just did a quick search, and this is the definition from LoveAndFidelity.org. It says, sexual integrity means living out one's sexuality in a way consistent with the conjugal purpose and meaning of sex. The this means the same thing for married and single people albeit lived out in different ways. Both are called to reserve sex for marriage, boo, and to be faithful in mind and body to one's spouse. Yeah, I guess be faithful, but the marriage thing is a total crock of shit. Ugh, you have, do, you, do you have parents like that? It's fucking retarded. So, hmm... People in secular society will bond together to talk about food and good health. That's real. That's safe. It's totally different if you try to get people to talk about pornography, smartphones, and video game addiction. You mean, uh, you mean my, my day? (laughs) And all the stuff that's filling up their hearts and minds. Again, is it? Is there more integrity in priests fucking children or people committing violent acts because they're not um, 
they're told not to have sex and it fucks them. I don't know. I think it's weird. I'm coming at it from an anti-Christian angle, I guess, too strongly. And it's not that I hate Christian people. There's a lot of great people. But I think that the problem is that when you're a part of a group that covers up pedophilia that much, it ruins the group. The, The swastika is a symbol that is beyond repair. I mean, I can't imagine them actually successfully bringing it back. There have been groups, and there was at least one company that was trying to create apparel um, with the swastika in it, but I don't think it went anywhere. And their their effort actually was like to they said we're trying to turn it into a good thing. But the problem with the swastika and the Catholic religion is that they both have evil crosses. Now the problem is that. These are both symbols of horrible things. So why is it okay? Why is it bad to show a swastika? I get why it's bad, but why is that worse than saying you're a Christian? Is it because killing adult, killing Jews is worse than raping children? I feel like that's, I feel like that's pretty even, because here's the deal. Killing people, horrible. And you can debate what's worse, rape or murder. They're both bad, but the thing about murder is once you murder somebody, they're dead. They're not suffering the death again and again. The family is, but the person is not. Um, and of course, the pe- the family members' feelings are important, but so are the families of the victims, the children. And, and at least... <clears throat> At least there's a, a stigma to walking around with a swastika. Look, there's exceptions, but I would say there's a lot more people willing to admit they're a Catholic than to admit they're a Nazi. Hopefully there's more Catholics than Nazis. Although, am I hopeful? Because the thing is, people will see Nazis from far away and be like, that's bad. But you'll see a Christian person who... I'm not saying that Christianity is totally bad. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that if you want to start, uh, if there's going to be a, cause, let's focus on Catholicism for a second. If Catholicism, if people like a lot of the the precepts or the rules or the, the way that that they practice Catholicism, if they like the majority of that, why can't there be Catholicism too, or whatever you want to call it, where it it takes the useful aspects of that, but it rejects the pedophilia and the bigotry um, that is perpetuated by religion. You know, the whole hatred of gay people or the blah, 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 you know. By the way, if you're homophobic and you're willing to change your mind with more information, then good for you. <clears throat> there's this belief that if you if you were ignorant at one point, then you're ignorant forever. And I disagree with that. And I think that if you were racist and you, you know, learn the errors of your ways, that's great too. But I think there's a same thing with Penn State. When I see the fucking Penn State University logos, I want to vomit. I said, I went into a Wawa and I saw a, a so regional Pennsylvania East Coast uh, 
convenience store that's better than your convenience store. Let's just put it that way. Um, it's a really good place. And I saw a guy in there wearing a, not a, not an employee, but a customer wearing a, a, a Penn State shirt. And I said, you know, good for you, uh, representing Jerry Sandusky. And he acted shocked. And I'm, and I'm thinking like, oh, you didn't hear? You didn't hear the news? Guess what? Even if it's three years later, I don't think they were ready to forget the Holocaust three years after it happened. You could say, well, six million people, a couple of kids. Guess fucking what? For those kids, it was 100% evil. They were, even if five kids are hurt, they're hurt. You know, they're not less hurt because, oh, guess what? It didn't happen to that many people, so it doesn't hurt me. If you had a hammer thrown at your face, you want to be like, well, statistically, very few people get hammers thrown at your face, so I'm okay with this. It's like, you'd be like, no, fuck you. Why'd you throw a hammer in my face? <laughs> I hope I never have to say that to somebody. Fuck you, why'd you throw a hammer in my face? Unless I had it coming. Um, Josh will probably throw a hammer in my face. <laughs> it's totally different, it says. Oh, sexual integrity. I'm returning to this article. Um, it's totally different in our churches if you try to get people to talk about pornography, smartphones, video game addiction. Um, when asked about these issues, now here's the interesting thing. I, I even want to go into that. I don't know if they mean pornography addiction, smartphone addiction, and video game addiction, but the way they've worded it is pornography, smartphones, and video game addiction. So I would say pornography alone isn't bad. Pornography addiction is bad. I would say smartphones alone aren't bad. It's smartphone addiction that's bad. Um, and honestly, if you're addicted to your smartphone, it's porn right there. So That's a... Um, many pastors think silence is the safest option. That's a naive attitude. Well, <laughs> silence, yeah. Where have we heard that before? Pastors keeping silent. That's a naive attitude attitude in modern America, according to Barna Group research commissioned by Brush Fires a, and supported by 24 national and state groups, such as Focus on the Family and Enough is Enough. Say that about the pedophilia in your church, you fucking idiots. Enough is enough. Researchers contacted... Uh, by the way, I just want to say this. The reason... I'm not anti-religion because I'm anti-pedophilia. Do you get that? If you're Christian, you're listening, and you're saying, what's wrong with me praying to God? Nothing. But if you use it, if if the God place is fucking your children, it's like if you went to a store. Let's say you went to an Apple store. Now, they don't do this, but let's say you went to an Apple store and they fucked kids there. You wouldn't be like, well, you know, they do do a good job with fixing my computers. No, you'd probably be like, fuck the benefits. I'm out of here. This place is disgusting. When you saw the Apple logo, you might think pedophilia. But for some reason, we've got crosses everywhere. And we should be using the crosses in churches to crucify the priests for fucking the children. But the problem is, then the priests would probably be like, Oh, I'm dying the way that our Lord and Savior died. That's that's an honor to me. I say forget the cross, just 
put a nail through their heart or injure them very badly. Yes, I am advocating violence on pedophiles. Guess fucking what? Sue me. If you fucked a kid and it's proven in court, you deserve to be stabbed. Actually, you don't deserve to be killed. You deserve to be put in uh, the most pain possible while you're alive. You know? Somebody, I forget who said this, it's, don't kill a person, keep them alive, and give them no reason to live. So yes, it's wrong to advocate violence technically, but if you see a pedophile, they, importantly, if you if if it's been proven or you have a convincing very convincing story and you know for a fact do what you want fucking break his neck cut his dick off at the very least you should cut the hands and dicks off of all pedophiles because they can't molest or have sex wow this is dark <laughs> But it's not really, what I'm saying isn't really dark because it's just based on truth. So I guess you would say that the truth is dark. And uh, it's, isn't it amazing that the pornography is the problem, not the pedophiles? Um, it's fucked up. Maybe if those priests watched the pornography, they wouldn't be doing that evil shit. Researchers contacted 410 senior ministers in 29 evangelical and mainline Protestant denominations, along with non-denominational congregations. That's a lot of syllables. Pastors were asked about 18 issues, including marital infidelity, premarital sex, same-sex relationships, sexting, gender dysphoria, and the use of pornography by husbands, wives, teens, and young children. So you're more considered about young children watching pornography than getting a dick in their ass. That's fucking great. And again, I'm not saying this to be glib. I'm not saying this to be funny or to make fun of children. I'm pointing out the insanity of these fucking pieces of shit. You're not a piece of shit if you're religious, but there's a lot of pieces of shit who become priests. That's all I'm saying. 80% of these Protestant pastors said they had been approached during the past year by church members of staff dealing with infidelity issues and 73% Face issues linking to pornography. I would say, guess what? That's not my field. I'm a fucking pastor, whatever pastors do. I'd say, go to a psychiatrist. I have no training. I get all my fucking information from a book from who knows how long ago. <clears throat> the Bible. When are they going to make a sequel to that thing? You know? Improvements, updates. 80% of the of these Protestant pastors, yeah, 70% uh, of the pastors said they dealt with serious sexual brokenness issues in their flock several times a year. I don't know what that means. Uh, only one third uh, said they felt very qualified to address the sexual issues being. You have no fuck unless you're addressing the real sexual problem. There's only one sexual problem in the church, and that is what's perpetrated by the priests. God damn it, you fucking pieces of shit. 
you're making me hate the religion, okay? And I know it's unfair to hate Christianity or the Christian. I can hate the religion. Who gives a fuck? I don't hate it for no reason. I hate it because of the enabling of pedophilia. I don't care what you say. If you say, you know, I do it for the benefits, then fucking help make a new group that doesn't do the evil shit. You know? I argue with my girlfriend about it. I'm like, you know, you're 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 part of this group and it's fucking sick, man. And if you raise your kid, honestly, if you raise your children and make them altar servers, boys or girls, if you make them altar altar servers, that is child abuse because you're putting your children in harm's way for no fucking reason. Um. <laughs> um Mainline church pastors uh, were much less likely to address sexual health issues. Why? Um, <clears throat> Most pastors, said Weiss, realize that many of these sexuality issues are linked to the growing digital screens culture found in modern homes. What, you mean phones and televisions? You idiot. Pastors struggled with tech issues just as much as talking about sexuality. Well, guess what? There's a sex, there's a sexuality problem in the church, not a technology problem. So let's focus on the one that matters. I am biased. I'm biased against pedophilias and pedophile um, enabling organizations. So I guess in that way you could say I'm biased against Catholicism. Don't you love all these people who are angry about Muslims being terrorists and all that shit are okay with kids being fucked in our country? And they can say, well, I'm not for that. Well, then don't do it, you douchebag bitch. <sighs> I'm really alienating my viewers, but guess what? You deserve to be alienated if that offends you. Uh, recently, he said a church invited him to do two sessions during their class for new members, focusing on the impact of mass media on the sexual health of adolescents. When he was done, the pastor told him, glad you helped out. This will cover us for the next three years or so on that topic. Is that a joke? Weiss was not amused. The irony is that large chunks of the New Testament are full of St. Paul's practical advice for children, for Christians struggling to live in a pagan culture. Um, where, asked Weiss, is that kind of candid advice being offered to people in our church pews? Uh, seminaries and, deno and denominational bureaucracies have failed to teach and promote what Weiss called a true discipleship mindset in most churches. The result is a consistent failure to help our people live their faith day after day. Sexual brokenness is one sign of this... Uh, fucking... This article is just annoying because it's not addressing the real sexual scandals in the church. The real set isn't that interesting. The real sexual scandals in the church are the least talked about sexual issues by the church. They always want to talk about premarital sex or 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 homosexuality or pornography. 
I would rather the priests were fucking men or women and looking at porn and masturbating than, uh, than being, you know, with children. You're an atheist. You're, you're, you're against religion. I'm a person, and these are opinions. Shut the fuck up. Shut off the audio if you don't like it. For many of our people, all of these uh, devices like their smartphones and their social media apps have become false idols that they spend untold numbers of hours worshipping. Yeah, you're right. It's more productive to sit in a fucking church and be told when to sit and stand than to be on your phone. You're right. When I hear pastors say that they can't deal with real life issues like these, I want to tell them, you know, you don't have a real church anymore. You just have some individuals who are getting together for a few worship services, and that's that. All right, so that worthless article was brought to you by the Yukia Daily Journal. Uh, feel free to post dick pics in their comments section. <laughs> Uh, why are women, this, this article is called, Why Are Women More Religious Than Men? Uh, it says, because they are stupid and more easily controlled. No, it doesn't. That was a little sexism. Didn't mean to say it. Uh, it's a joke. Because men are more willing to take risks, I guess. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't, I, I'll come back to that. I just want to... I've got enough... Enough religion. Fucking religion talk. I'm done with that crap for now. So thanks for listening to... Oh, Jesus! Please subscribe and subscribe to True Life Not Doritos. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. So we're doing a good amount of show. Let's see, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shows down. Who knows how many we're gonna do here? So I want to do a little math. Isn't it weird the um, the iPad still doesn't have a calculator? Cause that's what you wanted to know about, right? Does the iPad have a calculator? No, I guess you didn't ask me that, did you? Right. So I can talk... Next I can talk about... Let me, let me just jump back in here. Talk about TP, this podcast is art. I can do tools, talking tools. I can do the money show. Um, or I could do making friends is hard. All right, are we, oops, hold on, okay, so, I, you might be wondering why I'm going to do this, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to do another episode of Help Yourself, that's right, I did one earlier in the show, but I think that I would like to return it, return to it, rather. So, let's get into it. So, a little bonus.
for you folks who love help yourself. It's uh, it's Oprah for men. That's what it is. And if you're women, maybe you could enjoy it as well. It's um. You get a car and you get a car and you get a you get an MP3 and you get an MP3 and you get you get a Dorito and you get a. So yeah, so I'm gonna start help yourself. So let's do it. What the fuck, buddies? Remember that, Mark Maron. He uh, he gave me some advice in comedy. He said, "Be angry at everybody." <laughs> That's your ticket. There are those comics who pretend to be angry so that they have a shtick on stage. And I always wonder, do that does that end up bleeding into their life and make them more miserable, or does it work pretty well? Well, we can talk about that after, but let's get into Help Yourself. Welcome back to Help Yourself. This is the show where I help you help yourself. And I'll probably help myself in the process, too. Because this is a, a selfish show. No, I don't think it is. So I mentioned um, earlier that I, I like to have the background on my phone say, uh, have that Robert Wegman's uh, quote, which is, Robert Wegman quote, which is, never think about yourself, always help others. <clears throat> and the reason I like it is because I find that I can be too self-centered in life. And sometimes being self-centered gets the job done, but it leaves you feeling, uh, I guess, kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, bankrupt internally, emotionally bankrupt. Um, I've been made fun of for coining other terms starting with emotionally, but let's not get into that. <laughs> I think it applies in this case, emotionally bankrupt, meaning you will live your life uh, seeking out pleasure for yourself, and then you'll find out at a certain point that it's not as fulfilling as you thought because the idea it makes sense like it seems intuitive to think if i'm not happy i should focus on improving my happiness until i try to help other people and i've heard that said before you know you can't make anyone else happy until you can make your you can't love anyone until you love yourself please if I waited until I loved myself to uh, be kind to other people, then I don't think I would ever be kind to people. That's not true, and I, I'd like to get there at some point, I guess, because this is a self-help show. So why would I, you know, encourage people to give up on life? That's not at all. I guess. Excuse me. What I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is that helping yourself only. That's funny. The show is called Help Yourself, and I'm saying don't help yourself. Not don't help yourself, but don't always prioritize yourself as number one. Like people say, ah, oh, you got to look out for number one. Yes, overall, yes, but that's in addition to the human beings around you. And so what I'm saying is that, that narcissism 
that's something I need to learn more about. But I would I would say that there's an unhealthy level of self-centeredness in myself. I um, I don't I don't know if it's any more than the average person, but or not. But if the average person is as self-centered as me, then uh, the average person is possibly a narcissist. And I, I guess I say that because you know I have to remind myself to think about other people. It, it just doesn't um, come naturally, I guess, which I'm not proud of, but. That's the truth. Um, speaking of uh, caring about other people, I'm just texting. I'm texting my dad. But see, here's the thing, right? It gets confusing sometimes because you can say, well, you know, you got to look out for other people. But then, what if you have to? Uh, what if you have to pick one or the other of a stranger to protect? If you're nice to both people, if you're nice to the violent people and you let them be violent, well, that's not very nice, right? So that's that's when it gets um, that's when it gets more confusing because then what happens is you start to think, well, and I've mentioned this before, can you be loving and act in self-defense? And I would say yes, because, um, well, first of all, I guess lovingly acting in self-defense, first of all, would be protecting your family members, right? And also maybe not using any more force than necessary, you know, unless they did something heinous. You know, if they were assaulting, sexually assaulting someone, I would say have at it. As long as you know they're doing it. You know, I don't think that's narcissistic to care about your family, is it? See, I don't know. I've heard people use the term narcissism to describe people's uh, political parties. Like, like it's narcissistic to think that everything's against liberals or everything is against conservatives. And uh, it's just... It's too simplistic. It's too easy to say the world is against me. And this is the shit that this is literally the reason that Josh had stopped talking to me is because I, without mentioning his name, and I might have said that earlier in the show, but I'll repeat it as part of the Help Yourself show. Um, I was using him, not by name, but as an example of you know, a person who uh, seems to do quite the opposite of the Robert Wegman uh, quote. So the Robert Wegman quote, again, is, never think about yourself, always help others. And I feel like his interpretation of it is more along the lines of uh, Josh's is more like, never help others, always think about yourself. Now, I don't mean that fully. I get it. Like he cares about people, but I, I guess what I'm, whatever I say about him is sort of an indictment against myself to some degree. Just, um, I don't know. I, I just think that 
let, let me let me bring it back to myself. Let's for, forget about Josh. Let's, let's not make it about him right now. Let's make it about what is the solution to narcissism. And I don't entirely have the answer to that question. However, um, I guess the other the other question is, what do you do if it is getting out of? Oh, what the fuck? Sorry, I gotta put my phone down. I I got stuck on my phone and then I realized I didn't need to look at it. So, narcissists and psychopaths are different. In case you didn't know. Uh, psychopaths and sociopaths, they're kind of similar. I don't fully know the definitions. I actually probably should find out the definitions if I'm going to be talking about this as a... As a... Excuse me. As a mental illness or a trait of mental illness. Um, so I'm going to pull up the definitions of psychopath, sociopath, and narcissist. I think there, there are quite a few differences, but there are a handful of similarities as well. Okay. So first I'll just start with the, the one line definition of these words. <clears throat> All right, so sociopath, that's interesting. Wait, so so sociopath, it's, it's also referring to it as um, what is a narcissistic sociopath? Someone, okay, I don't, oh, so there's even narcissistic sociopaths. Well, wait, is, is anti-social, so, what is it, anti-social disorder? Sociopath, okay, all right, here we go, let's go, this is via elementsomething.com, and it says, uh, all right, this is more than one line, but let's, let's, let's look at this, okay. Psychopathy is a common term used to describe a grouping of personality traits that includes such things as impulsive behavior, lack of regard for others, lack of a normal range of emotional responsiveness, and frequent deception or manipulation of others. People who have these traits are known as psychopaths or sociopaths. However, the American Psychiatric Association which publishes the primary guidebook for diagnosing mental illness in the United States, does not use the term psychopath or sociopath. Okay, so that makes sense as to why it was hard to just get a, like a short uh, definition. The closest equivalent to psychopathy in the APA guidebook is called antisocial personality disorder. Um, it became a common concept, talking about psychopathy again, it became a common concept in the U.S. in the 1940s. Uh, psychiatrists proposed that all psychopaths had 
a superficially outgoing personality that hides a fixed pattern of psychotic, i.e. hallucination-based or delusion-based, and antisocial behaviors. Later, the, the concept of psychopathy widened as mental health professionals realize that affected individuals can have a much wider range of dysfunctional personality traits. In line with the understanding that not all psychopaths are literally psychotic, psychiatrists and other mental health experts started using the, word, the term sociopathy as a substitute for psychopathy and started using the term sociopath as a substitute for psychopath. Personality traits associated with psychopathy slash sociopathy fall into four main groups, including antisocial traits, interpersonal traits, affective traits, and a, with an A, affective with an A, uh, and lifestyle traits. Antisocial traits associated with the condition include childhood behavioral disturbances, teen or preteen delinquency, um, and involvement in criminal conduct. Interpersonal traits associated with the condition include an inflated notion of self-importance, frequent participation in manipulation or deception, a deeply ingrained pattern of lying, and a superficially appealing social style. Interesting. Effective traits associated with psychopathy slash sociopathy include callousness towards others, limited emotional responsiveness, an ingrained pattern of avoiding personal responsibility, and an absence of guilt or, or regret for one's actions. Lifestyle traits associated with uh, include uh, impulsive behavior, recurring bursts of highly stimulating experiences, a pattern of unrealistic life expectations, and frequent reliance on others for financial or material support. The American Psychiatric Association definition of antisocial personality disorder is found in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, which the vast majority of mental health professionals use to diagnose mental health. Uh, the DSM also includes definitions for nine other conditions classified as personality disorders. In many respects, the symptoms found in people diagnosed with antisocial antisocial personality disorder mirror the symptoms commonly associated with psychopathy. For instance, people with the disorder typically do things uh, as do such things as disregard the welfare of others, display superficial charm in social situations, display a lack of guilt or regret, break the law, behave irresponsibly, manipulate or lie to others, act impulsively, or seek stimulation through reckless activity. See, now some of this, some of these things remind me of an old, sorry, I just, I put my phone down and it made a ridiculous amount of noise on this microphone. See, I'm not a psychopath, I just said sorry. So, my old boss...
at this computer place. I've sometimes I've thought about leaving some kind of nasty review on their page, but that's 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 probably something I'll think talk about later. But what I did notice is that you know my boss just exactly that superficial charm towards others. Um, but a callousness in general. And this place I worked at, um, the woman there, it's not like a corporation or anything. <clears throat> I don't know if I should mention their name or not. Maybe I will later, but I don't know. The point is, the woman working there was just the worst. You know, the way she treated me like shit. And then when her customers came around, she was, oh, cheery. She had a fucking shit-eating grin I wanted to slap off of her face. And, uh, it, it was, it was just, it was just horrible. And the people, it, it was one of those, like, if the, if the whole concept of trickling down from the top, uh, truly does exist... I would say in this case, uh, this is a good example of it, which is that, you know, the shitty uh, personality of the people in charge seems to kind of be trickling down to the other employees. You ever notice at a job where you have a nicer boss, it seems sometimes that the, the whole atmosphere of the your work environment is just a bit better. You're going to get those people that suck who are your coworkers, but there seems to be this pervasive issue of negativity trickling down from the people in charge to the 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 employees that, you know, every every level of the hierarchy of employees is is just filled with this shittiness, you know? And one of the guys who worked there uh, also owns a, a brewery and he was the big, he, see, I don't know, I don't know who I, I'm more annoyed with is, I don't know if it's her for being shitty to me, but then nice to the customers, or I don't know if it's, he was worse cause he was so shitty to the customers and that didn't feel good either because, you know, it would be like an older person or even if it wasn't, it'd just be somebody who would come to the store, have some questions, and he would just jump to, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, I don't I don't understand what you're asking me. It's like, you're a fucking, you're, you're supposed to be helping customers here, and you're acting like it's a, a distraction from your real job, which is running your, your microbrewery with your other hipster douche uh, buddies. That's not really an insult to microbreweries, just to this asshole. I forget his name. But boy, did he suck. And they asked me, you know, after they fired me, because of course I fucking... You know, she didn't really tell me what she fired me for. She said it was She said it was one thing, and then she said it was another thing. And... Um, God, I... Um, <laughs> I didn't even know this was going to become the topic of discussion. And I don't even know if this is helpful to, to speak this way on the Help Yourself podcast. So maybe I'll put a pin in that and come back to it. 
um, in the TLND show. Basically, what I'm what I, I wanted to figure out, and the reason that I started doing this help yourself episode was because I'm I'm trying to figure myself out and I'm trying to be more better at controlling my emotions so I will if I get good advice on emotional regulation uh, that I can provide to you I will because I think a lot of people are living their lives um, affected that their their emotions are living their lives and what I mean by that is um, if you haven't tamed the wild beast which is your feelings um, it it will tell you how to you know what to do what not to do meaning you'll be like fuck this is boring I give up or Oh shit, that place I, that place makes me anxious. And I'm not saying that it's not legitimate to have feelings. Feelings are real, 100%. What I'm really saying is that your feel, you know, there's that 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 phrase feelings are not facts. So the idea is you're afraid to go to the store. That's okay. Let's say that's the situation. You're afraid to go to the store for whatever reason. Okay? you're afraid to go is there actually danger going there well no more than the the average danger of leaving the house in general you know anything in life anytime you get in a car you can die you know there's lots of things in life that can get you injured so let's assume you're going to a supermarket in a safe area where likely nothing's going to happen but for some reason you're anxious about going to the supermarket so in this in this scenario, uh, what I want to point out is that you can have the fear. Let's say you're afraid of carrots, and you know they sell carrots at the supermarket, and you don't want to go to the supermarket. So let's start there. Your fear is of carrots. You're afraid. Okay. So you could say that you have the fear for no reason, but you have the fear, regardless of if you should or you shouldn't. You have the fear, you feel it. Now, if you don't go to the supermarket, and it stops you from ever going to the supermarket, that fear, whether legitimate or not, is living your life for you. Because if you otherwise might have gone to the supermarket you'll not be able to do that if your fear stops you so that's a change in your life made by your fear now it's maybe it's sort of a trivial thing because whatever you could you know find a store that doesn't sell carrots i guess and get your food there i I don't know if there's a list of carrot free supermarkets um but uh, I guess maybe if the, if the, there's not even peanut free supermarkets, are there for the peanut allergy people? But the point is that, 
your fear makes you, or let's say it's anger. Let's say you're just you're just filled with anger. So you go about your life and you avoid even speaking to people because you think, fuck, if I get angry, it's going to put me through the roof and I'm not even going to be able to exist in a civil way or around this person at all because I know I'm going to be angry. Again, not diminishing the, that the feeling exists. All I'm saying is that if your anger exists all the time, it's going to have an effect on your life. Emotions um, are similar to drugs in the sense that they, they alter your perception of reality a lot of times. And so they, they change your perception they change how you feel in your body and they make you act differently all of these things are present in drugs and emotions and arguably uh, emotions are the creation of drugs in our brains brain chemicals you know we have cannabinoids naturally occurring cannabinoids in our brains um, cannabinoids, for example, is, is what, that's what THC is. It's a tetrahydrocannabinol or something like that. Um, it's, it's a cannabinoid. So there's natural and there's serotonin. There's natural feel, feel good chemicals in our bodies. So I, and then there's adrenaline. There's all kinds of, there's like, it's weird. It's like there's uppers in your body. There's like adrenaline. So you got your cocaine and you've got uh, your cannabinoids, like your weed. And you've got, uh, I don't know, your your pineal gland makes your DMT and makes you trip. I guess all that stuff. I I haven't dug through that enough to know what's, what's legit and what isn't. So I'm, I'm speaking from, you know, a hundred yard view or whatever you want to call it. All my my whole point is that the reason that emotional regulation is important is that it stops you from being a drug addict with your emotions. Now that that analogy might not hold up a hundred percent of the time, but the really the point is that we the way that emotions affect people can uh, be habit-forming like a drug. You ever see people who just always seem to be arguing with each other, no matter what, and you're thinking, what the hell is going on? Why are these people so angry all the time? Do they want to be like this? And it's habit. You know, they're addicted they might not think they enjoy it, and maybe they don't, but they are in some way addicted to arguing. Um, now, maybe the the reason that people get addicted to arguing is because it's, it's a drama about one thing that then makes them not think about, I don't know, the fact that they're going to die or the fact that they're low on, they're, they're behind on their rent, you know. It is a distraction, but it's also a habitual thing. And so that's why emotional regulation is so important. And and let me be clear, when I say that, I, I'm not referring to, you know, stuffing things down and avoiding them. Because 
that just turns into passive aggression and and outright aggression later if you if you get if you get uh you know if you've stuffed things down for so long and then you know you can't stuff them down anymore they won't go anywhere so that it all just comes out and you you it's like a it's an explosion of anger so i am going to hopefully get a list of uh just just really dig into it learn more about anger i want to learn more about anger because you know, I think, well, why learn about anger? Why not learn about being peaceful? Well, I think that the learning about them is, it's like saying you want to learn about cars, but only the things that can go right with them, not the things that can go wrong with cars. You want to learn about how to be peaceful and anger because the framework for becoming a more peaceful person um, or or the bigger picture of becoming a more peaceful person person it's easier to understand that once you understand what the kind of the opposite of that is so that's where i'm trying to get because you know it's you can get into a situation where you're so it's like when people are so used to being drunk that they don't even know what drunk is like they can't distinguish it from sober you know i'm thinking like People who are alcoholics or just general binge drinkers might kind of almost feel numb to the aspect of being drunk. But, and I say that not as an expert on it, but it seems to make sense. And so by the same token, if you are angry a lot and arguing all the time, <clears throat> you're creating a such a negative atmosphere that it's it's likely that you uh, start to forget what it's like to even be in a positive atmosphere. You forget that there is an ability to experience joy. You know, it's like um, I'm working on the these these analogies here, but uh, let's let's say you had a beautiful beautiful painting. Um, on the bottom of your pool. I don't know. It's not a common thing, but it works for this analogy. Let's say you had the... Just imagine the coolest, nicest, awesomest painting you ever had. And it, it's brilliant. It's perfectly done, and it's on the floor of your pool. So you have a nice, large backyard pool, um, and it just looks great, and you love it. But then let's say that uh, birds start pooping in your pool. Let's say that uh, birds start pooping in your pool, leaves start falling in your pool, um, you know, rodents start crawling in your pool, all types of things fill up your pool to the point where um, you can't even see that beautiful picture anymore. Now, arguably, you should be uh, taking care of your, your pool to the point where it never gets there. But let's just pretend that that pool is your emotions, right? Now there's a there's a there's a joy and a happiness that can uh, exist on a on a base level, just the 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 joy of being alive to some degree. And let's just call that joy. And so that's the bottom of the pool. That's the painting on the bottom. 
and then the i guess the water in the pool that's just life that's that's life um but then all that stuff falling in the pool that's your other emotions that's your negative emotions the rodents that's the that's that's the jealousy the shit that's the anger the leaves that's the uh general stress frustration if enough of those things fill up your emotional pool you might forget that that joy that beautiful picture on the bottom even exists and i'm telling you i've been in at points in my life where i've been so overwhelmed by the crappiness of of how i feel and the drama that i forget that there's even a possibility of being happy you know it's so in this process of improvement and ultimately trying to help other people improve i think that i'd like to make a number of uh different illustrations maybe get an animator involved because i think that visually a lot of these concepts even you know for me too i think that seeing is seeing isn't always believing but seeing is understanding you know for a lot of people and i'm not saying oh i need big dopey pictures to get it but if you illustrate things in a certain way in a certain metaphorical way um like you know demonstrating uh things you have to do in life as steps or or you know alleviating your stress as putting out a fire there's all types of interesting ways that you can visually um demonstrate things in a in a metaphorical way or even just whatever way helps you make sense of it and so i'd like to both explain some of the metaphors i've got uh and then also draw them and maybe put them on a youtube channel or something but i think as i figure out life as i figure out how to live better more effectively and be kinder to the people around me um it would only be right for me to then share that information with you guys so emotional regulation anger management is a good one and i'll probably dive back into that uh meditation deal all that shit um because it's it's good for you i guess so thank you for listening to another episode of help yourself hopefully once in a while uh hopefully once in a while i'm helpful on this program and hopefully uh today was one of those days if not i'll uh stay subscribed or or subscribe and i'll i'll do better next time i'll i'll turn it around okay so thanks for watching thanks for listening bye okay so it's still uh difficult sometimes for me to figure out how to end those segments because 
because I'm trying to have consideration for the people who are listening to this in long form. And so I, I when I'm doing a lot of that in and out of uh, segment talk, it's fine if you're l- listening or watching the, the individual videos, but if, if what you're doing is instead is, um, you know, l- listening to it all the way through, then you might be like, fuck, why do I have to hear 15 introductions and outros to all these different shows? So maybe I'll, maybe in the future I'll edit that stuff in and out. Now, I don't really consider this an introduction. This is more of just an uh, in-between part before I, you know, move on to the next topic here. So we've got this podcast is art. We've got money. We can talk about making friends is hard. And uh, we can talk about my voice sucking. All right, let me let me see if. Eh. Well, I mean this this show is is getting pretty long here. We're almost at what four hours. It's the longest TLND show ever, I believe. Take that. And I'm not even through all the segments, you know. So, that's interesting. Did This podcast is art. Well, maybe I won't officially, like, get into another recording here, but... I think that, uh, you know, art, in terms of art, I want to get back into it. I used to love drawing and drawing comic books. I would, you know, design skateboards. I sold a few of them, Um, T-shirts, things like that. I just really, you know, before I got into comedy or, or really most other hobbies... I really enjoy drawing. It was like my favorite thing. And it, the thing about it is, you, you got to think about it from the perspective of play. Now, forget how good is the image, how good is the picture. That's good if you want to, you know. No, it's good to perfect your skill. But what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that in the pursuit of improvement you might make some crappy drawings or other crappy art, but they're just steps towards making great art where they just are what they are. The process, you know, it's like that saying, the journey is, is more important than the destination. Well, what I would argue is there's there's not even a destination uh, that comes with just making art. It's just its own fun experience. If you, you know, if you make art for a living, I get it, you're doing it for money, but there's, I can't explain it, I can't explain what I mean by this, but it seems like in the times when I would draw more, I would feel more like myself. So, I feel like that means something. Now I don't know if if maybe 
see, I don't know if, if visual art is a separate fulfillment from any just general kind of creativity. Because I feel that um, oftentimes any kind of creative act uh, is something that can 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 make you uh, just feel fulfilled you know it's it's almost like uh, creativity can be a religion in in the sense that I I know I've had people disagree with me on this and I have no proof for it but I feel at, at the times that I've felt the closest to God have either been on drugs or creating things when I'm creating things, it feels uh, getting an idea for a joke can there's there's you know there's the situation where you can just sit down to write and muscle your brain into place to do it. That's a good exercise to do if you can stomach it. Uh, not everybody can. Uh, but then there's the other the other process of you're just kind of and and I've noticed this from like going on stage too. It's like you find a way to tap into this creative energy that doesn't even really feel like it's your own. It's an it's an energy. It's like you're uh, t tuning a radio into a frequency, and that frequency is is a is creative ideas and. And so, you know, I said to somebody, you know, the closest I've ever felt to like an actual experience with God was, uh, is just like from creative thought. And uh, he dismissed it, said, you know, whatever, it's stupid. Maybe it is, maybe it's fake, but if it's not God, fine. It's something. It's something different that... Um, is different than it's a different thing than intentional thought Cre you know if creativity it's like it's so there's so much more to it than the word there's 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 the idea of creativity as like a as like a skill but i don't think create creativity is is a skill in the sense that cr being creative is is useful and not everybody is but i don't think that i think that creativity is the wrong thing to say to to call the skill the real skill is the ability to tune into creativity so right so it's i've heard i i i guess you know if I was going to pontificate on this more, I probably should have just started an episode of This Podcast is Art. Uh, you know, maybe I'll jump into it. Maybe I'll get into it. All right, let's let's do the, This Podcast is Art. Do, do, do. All right, I'm going to start at the 2.43 mark here. So I'll just be with just a moment. <clears throat> yeah, but I just I just started getting comfortable with this, so I decided to <clears throat> transition uh, 
into the next video. Audio. Welcome to, welcome back to, This Podcast is Art. This is a show where, you know, we just talk about art, whether it's performance art, visual art, the art of the deal, I don't know. Just, just, just creativity and art. And I was doing kind of a, a little, a little talk about this, a little bit earlier. But, uh, you know, just to jump back into it, I was thinking about creativity as, as a force, almost like a, a, a god-like force, in the sense that it felt. It can feel very other-like, meaning it doesn't really feel like it's coming from me, these thoughts. And and what I was saying is that the, the idea that creativity is considered a skill, but the real skill, I think, is tuning into creativity. Now, you might think I'm splitting hairs, but the, these things are fundamentally different, see? Saying that I'm creative implies that the thoughts come from you. But saying that you tune into creativity implies that while you may do be doing some of the, the decoding or the, in, the, the interpreting it into human thought, um, the, the creativity is still there. In fact, I think that your taste actually tailors your creative thoughts to you because, and what I mean by that is that you might have thoughts that are very stupid or corny. And so you still have those thoughts. Your brain still created those thoughts, but you decided as the curator of the art that is created in your mind or by the creative force of the universe, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the hell it is. I just know that it it works. The idea is that, you know, don't take too much credit for tuning into it. It's great. You're doing a great job at decoding creative thought, but creative thought itself is, is common. So the real skill there isn't necessarily in the even in the creativity, I'm not trying to take that away fully, <clears throat> but the real skill rather than the creativity itself is the, the, the brilliance, the, the ability to uh, decide which creative thoughts are worth using. Think about it. Do you, when you start a conversation, unless it's a conversation where you have very clear motives you need to you know let's say you're selling somebody something and you need to get everything across make sure you've said everything possible that's one situation where it is more structured but let's say generally you're just having a conversation with someone well you don't need to sit by and think what are the let me prepare the words i am about to say no it fucking flies in it's like it's like premium wi-fi those words show up in your head they come right out of your mouth you don't even know they're happening you know you're not seeing your your mental web page of thoughts low maybe for me because i'm a slower human being but uh in general you know you just think of the words as you're saying them you know i don't know if you'll believe this but i didn't write these words down that i'm saying right now that's because 
creativity can work at a mile a minute. And I'm, yes, okay, what is a normal conversation? How is that creative? Well, you're literally creating something from nothing. You're using your vocal cords to provide an image to the person you're speaking to or a concept that they can grasp. All using movements of your tongue and your voice box and a shared understanding of language. It's pretty cool. And I'm not just saying that because I, I said it. I'm saying just the idea of <clears throat> creativity as an independent force that you can then tune into. Maybe it sounds a little Joe Rogan-esque. Um, but honestly, I, I know for a fact that I've felt this way about uh, creativity and, 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 and the way that those thoughts kind of can feel like they come about magically. That's something I've thought for years, like years, like even before the Joe Rogan experience. If you can imagine, if you can remember a world before the, the the brilliance of Joe Rogan. Now I I do enjoy his show. I'm I'm, I'm only uh, only teasing. Put me on your podcast. <laughs> so. There's a few good books about creativity. I think one was called something like... Wait, no. There's one called Improvisation in Life and Art, I believe. I can't remember if I like that one or not. Uh, there's one called The War of Art. That's a, that's, that's a very interesting one because that actually talks about the discipline involved um, in the creative process. So there, it, creativity's it's super interesting, and I'm kind of even getting tired of saying the word again because I feel like just repeating it is just making it meaningless. But the point stands that um, that word, if I could think of another word for creativity, I would. But uh, yeah, there's this other book I have. I will, you know... Remind me. I will. I will bring. I will read up on creativity and stuff, and 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 tell you the books that I like. That will that will surely tickle your creative fancy. But yeah, the War of Art uh, is is one that um, I would say you should definitely check out. It's a. Uh, it's not as as soft and. Uh, flowery as the concept of limitless creativity it's more about getting your shit together and find carving out the time to do it but it's all kind of the same thing because if you think about it setting an intention on being creative means that you are thinking about being creative any day that you um set aside to really focus on it because um i heard somebody somebody say this about enlightenment it might have been this guy jack cornfield i can't remember but somebody else t quoted this person to me and the quote was something like uh enlightenment is an accident and meditation makes you more accident prone so I guess if we were to expand that analogy to this, I would say creative genius is an accident 
but what were the words I was thinking to say? Creative genius is an accident um, and discipline and time dedicated to creativity makes you more accident prone. That was wordy. But essentially the idea is if you sit down with an intention of putting your creativity out there, working hard on it, eventually, if you just keep doing it, you will find your creative genius show up. And the reason that I'm... I, I think... So yeah, I think intention is more important. How many people out there do you know that are idea people, you know? I got a million ideas. I could do this. I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And then you're like, oh, cool. So which ones have you implemented or pursued? Well, they're just ideas. You know, I didn't actually do anything with them. And you're like, well, what the fuck, man? Are you so so what value do your ideas have if you're either not pursuing them or you're not helping somebody else out? Now, to be fair, ideas in themselves can just be fun. But I do think that a meaningful idea that is executed in a in a in a quality way um, is much more fulfilling than just being an idea person with a thousand ideas. There's a certain good feeling that comes from getting that shit done. And believe me. I have had many ideas that I have not either followed up on or or completed fully or even pursued at all. And that shit sucks. But I guess, again, I guess the point is, if you are a person who actually wants to create, then don't be too concerned with how creative or how brilliant your thoughts are, unless you can use that as motivation to think more brilliant things. Um, I guess the point is, though, you know, they say in like in the world of like comedy writing and stuff in committees and groups, like if you're in a writer's room and there's like 10 people. No, I haven't written on any shows or anything. I'm not a successful comedian. I'm just uh, talking about other people's stories but i've heard one of the recommendations for people who pitch things to um talk show or whatever they're in the writer's room they're everybody sitting around pitching their ideas the important thing that they say is don't be too uh, precious with your ideas meaning you might throw an idea out there that you think is great and they'll be like all right what else you got like that, you know, we're not doing that. And you might be shattered, like, what the fuck? They're not understanding my brilliance? And maybe they aren't understanding your brilliance. Or maybe you over-evaluated how useful or good your idea was. And you have to accept, even if they're wrong, until the idea is implemented, why should they just believe you at your word that you're funny, you know? Is is there Isn't it weird when people talk about how funny they are? I was talking about that earlier in a different show. 
it's just such a it's just to me it's disgusting i i maybe i'm being too self-deprecating or whatever you want to call it but i think bragging or or getting too caught up even in how great you are you're not the art you are the 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 maker of the art and so if you get too focused on you you know if you were too focused on the paintbrush and not on the painting you couldn't do a good job because your focus would be on the wrong thing if you're just looking at your painting wow it's so beautiful it's gold on the handle and then you're like wait i was supposed to draw a house this looks more like a smiley face what happened so yeah it's like you gotta keep your ego in check because even if you think you're the shit you should remember this is something i think this is not something i know you don't know that you're great you just don't now there is a risk in in what i'm saying here because uh, not everybody gets motivated the same way and not everything works the same way for everybody so there might be some people listening thinking well when i when i tell myself how great i am uh, i'm just first of all i'm just being honest and then second of all it's what helps me it's what motivates me look if telling yourself you're so great motivates you great but i would say that it might come back to bite you in the ass later because if you let's for example if you got into stand-up comedy for the first time you might think you know my friends fucking think i'm so funny they think i'm funny at school you know i've made i've made 10 people laugh in my lifetime that that should make me a comedian right and you you have your list of jokes that you think are fucking hilarious and then you show up and you tell the jokes and they fall flat and you're like whoa what the fuck now you can take two routes right you can get angry at the audience they don't know comedy maybe they don't sometimes but the person who blames the audience more often than they blame themselves uh continues to be bad at comedy because if you're blaming the audience all the time it means that you're considering them the only variable uh the only thing that's going wrong and that can't be possible um i was i was watching uh comedian jim norton uh perform at a local taco place near me don't know why he did a show there but who cares um i was glad to see him and one of the jokes he made i don't even remember what the joke was but he was having a great set and then that one joke bombed got like a zero not even a chuckle and he's like uh sorry about that folks i think we know uh it wasn't you all that decided not to laugh at the same time it's my fault on that one i'll take the blame something like that something worded in a better funnier way um but the idea is that uh is that he took the blame he said you know fucking, it's not the audience's fault that i fucking had a bad joke so you can't take that aspect also you know if you want to blame the audience for your bad shows then you should also thank the audience for being so great at your good shows i would say there's should be some level of consistency there 
Now, there may have been some conversational threads that I, I uh, forgot to follow up on in this, in this recording here, but again, in a creative context, I don't think I said it this way, but developing your craft. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's why I feel douchey even talking about this. I tried many years ago to help this, just give this guy a little push on stage because, because um, he's actually the name, it's funny, the name of True Life Not Doritos is because of him. If you haven't heard the story already, basically he made up this thing, he was doing a bit um, uh, where he was pretending his dad died and so he didn't you know, he didn't reveal that to me, so I assumed his dad was dead. And so there's a video out there of of him asking me, like, what can I do to get on stage? All that kind of stuff. And um, so I was just giving him my thoughts. I was, I was saying things in what I thought was a humble and non-assuming way. It was just the intention, intention was to, you know, help this guy. I'm like, you know... He, lo- he did play the part of being a, a frail, insecure dork uh, pretty well. So uh, so I bought it that he was this, this sad kid. He didn't even look like he was capable of being the deceptive motherfucker that he was. And I'm not really... Look, I'm not angry at him. He, he's actually the funniest person in his crew of... of uh, well, it doesn't say much when everybody else is unfunny, but... The point is, um, I uh, in that video, I was just giving that guy some advice, and people were, you know, shitting on me, saying that I, I, I was, I thought I was like a sage or something. Like, oh, you, I think it was said something like that. I was, I was pleased that I was uh, helping the guy. Now, maybe I was pleased that I thought I was helping the guy, but not in the way of, boy, ain't I so great? Um helping this guy it was more just from the point of view of like you know i've been there i've i've felt incredibly scared to get on stage let's also mention the fact that he said that his dad had uh always wanted to do stand-up comedy and never did so he wanted to um So he wanted to do stand-up comedy in honor of his dad. Now, looking back, the idea that he would have done that right the day of the funeral uh, of his dad does sound kind of crazy. But the thing is, um, he had a prayer card. And people are nutty. Like, I know people who say crazy things. So a guy saying that um, his... That his... Uh, that that he was going to perform on the day of his dad's funeral, that didn't really surprise me because I thought whatever he's a fucking just eccentric guy. You know, you meet a lot of fucking weirdo. He's not even close to the weirdest person I met in comedy. Um, and maybe maybe someday I'll 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 tell some of those stories. There's been interesting things. Um. You know, it's really interesting because being friends with a lot of comedians, it's like you can be friends with really cool 
and really lame people at the same time. It's very strange, but that's another thing people have pet peeves about is like, oh, you're going to talk about the life of stand-up comedians as a fucking open mic nobody. You know, I don't even really call myself a comedian anymore because I haven't been on stage in over a year. Um, and then before that, I wasn't even going to say that uh, until I was, like, making money, you know? But my dad's like, why are you acting, you know, don't don't be insecure about, you do comedy, just say you're a comedian. So I, I, I thought about that as well. I don't know. I still feel weird. I, I'm not trying to sound like out of the box or anything, but, you know, labels are weird and uncomfortable sometimes. What was my initial point there? Oh, I guess the whole point was I feel weird giving this advice about creativity because I wonder if I'm going to be misconstrued again by people and thought to be uh, someone who wants to be thought of as a guru or a genius. No. It's not important what my identity is. And I'm not attached to this, you know, person who has sage-like wisdom, you know, this this personality, this, this view of myself. At the most, I want to be a, a nice person. It's not my identity that I'm a nice guy and... I'm not always nice, you know? If I was attached to this belief that I'm a great person, then anytime somebody insulted me, I would be like, you have no idea how great I am. I'm the greatest person of all time. Um, so yeah, that's not what this is about. I so So it's not that I feel proud of I'm so great. I just want to help people from a real place. Like they might have thought, you know, let's move on from that for now. Sometimes I wonder if people are listening and they're like, no, you moved on from the interesting things. You never move on from the boring things, but you always move on from the interesting things. Well, I can tell you from my 57 years in uh, radio and podcasting and broadcasting at large, that that's how this stuff works. So, in terms of other advice I have, and guess what? Anybody who wants to complain about dead air, eat my ass, you motherfuckers. Because I happen to like having a normal, semi-normal communication pattern with listeners instead of a mile-a-minute bullshit show. Um, that was another thing that, uh, ah, fuck them, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. It's weird when you want to talk about stuff, but then you realize, ah, oh, this isn't a therapy session. Like, if you say things about people, they are no longer going to be private, um, so you might be saying things about people that are going to hurt them later. Um, I've already said enough negative things about uh, Josh for one show, for one episode. Um, not that, you know, the goal of this show is necessarily to hurt people's feelings. Um, that would be a different show, the Hostbusters show on YouTube, another show of mine. 
even the goal of that show isn't really to hurt people's feelings. It's more of just to trash people in an entertaining way. So to get back to creativity, this podcast is art. I think that there is a connection between exercising creativity as well as in a connection between meditation and creativity as well as a connection between weed and creativity so all of those things as well as uh, many other creative techniques or or you know types of things you can uh, types of ways you can approach it or things you can do to enhance it uh, when it comes to creativity so we're going to explore a lot of that in the future and so just before I wrap this up, I'm trying to think of what, so it's, it's interesting that creativity is half of the battle. The other thing is it's really about cultivating your craft. In other words, I think the quality of ideas is always, uh, can always be there are varying levels of ideas that you can intercept with your mind at any given point. But if you don't know how to distinguish, like, for example, I'm lo I love the examples. Let's say um, you're just a regular dude, probably don't know a lot about purses. Let's say somebody filled a room with like 15 knockoff Louis Vuitton purses and then one that was the legitimate one well as somebody who is not experienced in um evaluating purses you probably wouldn't be able to figure out which one was the actual purse the actual louis vuitton official purse because they'd all look similar so in this, in a similar sense, when you're so so wait, let me just jump back to that. So if you wanted to uh, be able to find out which one was the legitimate one, you would need to improve your skill at spotting the fakes, whatever it takes to improve that. So by a similar notion, um, if you are into doing stand-up comedy, but you haven't sharpened your skill of knowing what's funny. You might get 15 uh, unfunny thoughts and one funny thought. Uh, and if you can distinguish, if you can't distinguish which one of those thoughts is actually funny, then your skill, um, then you need to build that skill of, of knowing what's funny. Um, now, it's not, as, it's not as simple as just knowing what's funny. You still got to try it out on stage, which... I don't think uh, makes sense to you civilians. People hate when you say that. When when they, I see like on, on Reddit when people talk about listening to shows like Joe Rogan's podcast and other other podcasts by comedians, people are really irritated by that terminology of civilians. And I guess the maybe it's like the implication is that if you call yourself com a comedian and someone else a civilian, it's like Oh, sorry, I'm not. My level of funny isn't doesn't approach the level of you civilians. I mean, you uh, comedians, you're on the front lines of comedy. 
I'm here with my street jokes or my fucking blah, blah, blah. That's the thing. Comedians aren't necessarily the funniest people. They're just the people that thought they were so funny that they deserved a spotlight on them and a, their voice amplified. That's all it is, right? There's plenty of unfunny comedians and there's plenty of funny non-comedians. So maybe it's a skill in itself to even know that you should try getting on stage. Like following up on something is the skill, right? It's not just the idea because who the fuck doesn't have lots of ideas? Um, Steve Jobs said that, uh, not, not the image of mental health here, but, oh wait, we're not, see, I mixed up, I thought we were doing the mental health podcast for a second. What he said is that the most important thing he does creatively is, uh, he says no to a lot of his ideas. And the point is, uh, and I don't necessarily follow that philosophy, I'm not sure if it's, if it's the way to do things or not, but, um, he would spend most of his time saying no to distracting creative thoughts of other things to work on. Cause he's like, you know, I have to really focus my attention on this one thing that I want to do. So his skill was actually in the, in the, in the, the, the selecting what thoughts were worth focusing on. Now the difference there from picking out jokes is it's not saying that those thoughts aren't worthwhile what it's saying is let me shelve those thoughts maybe they're good for later but for now they are not where my focus should be speaking of performance art i don't care how many people shit on it i think that i do want to try an improv class now it's something that like every stand-up comedian shits on. But I kind of just want to do it for the skill, for the ability to improvise better. And ultimately, I'm pretty uh, slow and, and, and shy in conversations, you know? Who knew? But uh, yeah, very much so. So, and I just forget what the fuck I'm talking about. I freeze up, all that stuff, so... It's kind of more of the, you know, there might be freeze and all these lame little improv games, but uh, there might be a goodness to it. And it might not be anything like what I think about it, because, again, I know a lot of cynical comedians that for some reason think that they're fucking zero dollar making podcast and their occasional open mic performances are somehow higher art than improv comedy you know i do tend to like more stand-up than improv but to be honest i i don't know where to find improv and uh it's not like you just go on netflix and it's like here's 30 new half hour improv specials or however that shit works sure i mean i guess i can seek it out but the point is you know it's it's not just right there for the taking So, um, yeah, I'll have more in the future. Might at some point talk about how exercise relates to creative thought. Um, I could exercise regardless. Let's be honest. Whatever excuse I can give myself to get get the hell into shape. 
So, yeah, thanks for watching. Please subscribe. Please listen to the full True Life Not Doritos show as well. And subscribe again to This Podcast is Art. Thank you for listening. And I hope you uh, continue. Stay artsy. All right. That was, uh, that was, that was cute. That was good. Improvisation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, um, there really is this, this lack of respect for stand-up comedy, or for, for improv comedy from the stand-up comics, um, I guess the idea is that people are, I don't know how to say it, I i guess the idea is that these people seem like a little too joyous and a little too supportive, it's like, you're supposed to have some pain as a comedian, you know, you're supposed to have an edge, and when everybody's like, oh, yeah, I love you. Oh, great suggestion. Great. Like the whole idea of yes and even sounds weird. Like it sounds stupid. Really? I'm going to say yes to everything you say? What if it's a shit premise? I got to say, oh, yeah, great. Ah, I agree with that. But maybe that's a good. Well, it, so what I'm saying is while it's not necessarily a route, I, I, I think I would want to go. With comedy, I think the basic skills and the ability to cooperate with other people. Now, that's what I'm interested in. But yeah, the, the yes and thing is so funny. Because, first of all, I would think, you know, they say it like yes and is the only way you can do improv. Why? Why can't it be a game of uh, yes and most of the time and then occasionally... It's a no, and you have to figure out how to recover from that no, and that process could be funny to the audience. I mean, think about... Uh, I mentioned the show too much, but think about Tough Crowd. That wasn't a yes-and type of show. That was a somebody says something, and then they get fucking torn apart. So maybe, maybe, but maybe that's different. Maybe it has to be... Like, uh, doing some stretches here, sorry. Um, I thought I could talk and stretch at the same time. It, it turns out my, I don't have enough brain power to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe there's no way to do, uh, to say no and then continue a sketch on stage. But I also think it's weird when there's like rules because there's no real rules to stand up. Is there? Yes. Okay. Even. Okay. You can say that a setup and a punchline is how you make a joke. But, you know, not everybody's like that. Some people are just reactive comedians and their anger doesn't have clear markings of this is the punchline. This is the setup. All that shit. Sometimes it's just a funny quip, you know? So even that's, well, you need your premise. Like, I, I'd read, like, comedy books. They'd be like, first you got your your premise, okay? Then you got your setup. And then you got your punchline. What's your premise? Did you? Now, some of this stuff is true. Like, 
it's harder to lay it, unless you know somebody's an absurdist. But if they're not portraying themselves as an absurdist, even in the slightest bit, but then they go into something about... Uh, like, imagine if, if somebody wasn't being absurdist, but their premise was that... Uh, um, I don't know, or that Donald Trump is Chinese. And like I said, unless they're going, uh, you know, obviously joking, be like, what? okay, he's Chinese, that's your joke? Or what's your premise? Like a premise still does have, and I'm not saying this well, but a premise does kind of have to, even in a, even a joke that exaggerates and goes crazy, the premise has to kind of make sense. Because if you refer to paper as water, then how can you even write a joke like that? Does that even make sense? Uh, all right, let me take a cup. Take a sip. Sip some water. How much water did I drink in this shell? Mm. You know, I'm not like a lot of other people. I like to drink water. There's people who have apps to track them drinking water. Like, oh good, I drank my 64 ounces today. And that's cool, that's fine. But why is it, you know, why I don't get why it's so hard for people. I know I sound open-minded and stupid, and somebody might be able to tell me why. But uh, maybe it's easier for me to drink so much because I'm always peeing. But that's just... That's just a little food for thought or something. Water for your brain. So I could do a tools talking tools. I could do a making friends is hard. I could do a money show. Um, I don't even really remember all of the shows that uh, we've done. I don't even remember it. Uh, let me let me let me uh, let me see something here. Oh, you thought it was over, huh? It is not. This is the longest episode of True Life Not Doritos ever recorded on the best audio equipment you've ever heard this show recorded in. Um, yeah, Josh used to complain, by the way, I wouldn't talk about him so much if he didn't insist that I would be phony otherwise, but my, uh, my point is now I have a, a, a microphone that is better than my previous one, but the, the thing is, I can't tell if I'm using it correctly yet, because, I don't know, I can't tell if it's off or what. It, at least, at one point, it sounded kind of off. Um, let's see what uh, shows that I have not done yet that I need to do. Tools Talking Tools. Um, all right, let's, let's see.
All right, let's do um, tools talking tools. Or this week it's tool talking tools, I guess. Or if I talk about one tool, it's tool talking tool. So 283. Welcome to tools talking tools. This is your main tool. He's the screwdriver of the show. It's Brian. What the fuck is that noise? Um, it's weird with these headphones on. I can like, it's almost like I can hear noises that I can't normally hear. What's up? I was just finishing up this uh, TLND thing. Okay. Huh? People are outside. Um, so let's talk about tools. Tools are important, but more importantly on the show, what we try to look at is things that you do with them. There are a number of things I got to fix around this place. I need to fix uh, one of the cabinets in the kitchen. I need to fix the, um, the mirror, rehang it. I need to figure out what kind of fix can be done on this desk in front of me because it's it's kind of falling apart and you know one of the things you know one of the the points of the show is to provide you know beginner level information about uh, fixing things and make building things and fixing things and like I said, yeah, it's coming from a very beginner's mindset. I don't even have to practice beginner's mind. I just, I am a beginner. What does that mean exactly, beginner's mind? Because I've taken it to mean that, um, <clears throat> like, you come at things as if you were a beginner. Uh, but but you, even though you'd already been doing it for a while, you kind of, it refers to having an attitude of openness, eagerness, and lack of preconceptions when uh, studying a subject, uh, at, even at an advanced level. Okay, interesting. So, the idea would be if I was um, really good at fixing things and building things, which I'm not, but if I became really good at that, then the goal of beginner's mind would... Like it was saying, uh, continue to look at it, uh, at building things and fixing things with an attitude of openness, eagerness, and lack of preconceptions. So that's interesting. But like I said, I'm, I'm, I am a beginner right now, so I don't have to force the beginner's mind. It's the only mind I have. Um... It's interesting, and a quote, another quote, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. So I guess, and this is kind of a concept that I'd spoken about um, on the, the this podcast's art, and maybe another show on the uh, True Life Not Doritos show, 
which this show is a part of. I think I spoke about something. It was something related to Beginner's Mind. And now I just got so caught up in... Because, in, you know, I don't... This is the only show I've ever done like this where I've been hearing my own voice as I'm speaking. So I, I, I feel myself getting distracted by that and forgetting the, the point of what I'm trying to say. Um... Well, if it comes back to me, it'll come back to me. What can I do? And sometimes I try to chase those thoughts down and make sure I get them. And then sometimes it seems like once I stop trying to get it, it the thought shows up. This is the ASMR after show. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Is that what you're supposed to do when you're telling a joke? Afterwards, you say I'm joking. So, so yeah, I just mentioned a, a handful of things that I was uh, thinking about fixing. Oh, and just the general idea of the beginner's mind. That, that's what I wanted to talk about for a minute. Uh, the idea of thinking that you're great at something even if you are great at it, if you focus too much on thinking, I have arrived, I have achieved, there all is to achieve, I know all there is to know. If you do that very soon, you will be eclipsed by the competition or you'll be humbled by life. The thing is, even though it might feel good to your ego for you to... Uh, call yourself an expert or a pro. Um, it doesn't really uh, help you in terms of reality. It just helps the image in your head. If you actually want to improve and 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 discover new pathways in your career or your art or your general approach to life, then never assume that you've got it nailed. Confidence counts for something. Confidence can get a lot of things done. But one thing that confidence cannot do is give you a realistic view of the world, especially in high doses. Um, because the idea of absolute confidence means that you're not even considering the idea of failure. And if you don't consider the idea of failure, um, that would be like riding a bike and not even considering that maybe you could fall if you, um, you know, went down a steep hill or hit a rock. You know, it's impossible. Well, guess what? You're at a certain point, you know, confidence, I don't know if it's considered a virtue or something. Confidence is a strength, but overconfidence is a weakness because Overconfidence is stupidity. So, um, and how that how does that relate to this? So, so basically, the idea is not only are you set up to fall flat on your face, the other issue is that you also cut yourself off to evolving and discovering new interesting things and making the 
the process of of developing creating new things um if you un do you get where i'm going with it i don't want to dive too much into it you get it it's possible to be confident it's possible to be overconfident and it's possible to not be confident enough personally i feel pretty uh not i don't really feel confident at all when it comes to my fixing abilities um I think I'm better at cleaning things than fixing things. Um, and I honestly, I just haven't put as much work into fixing things. I've, you know, probably the the majority of what I've used tools for in my life has just been to put together and take apart skateboards um, in terms of consistent use. I mean, obviously, you need uh, tools, you know, uh, a tire iron to to change the tires and uh, you know you need a, a, a ratchet or a wrench to uh, open the and let out the oil um, I'm sure helping my dad with things occasionally I'd probably nailed things in but but in general I have a a low low level of knowledge of um, look, you could give me a hammer and I wouldn't be perplexed as to how it worked, you know? <laughs> I'm not that dumb when it comes to tools. I just, I don't know technique, you know? I don't know how to, um, properly, if you, if you gave me a, a, a jigsaw, I could figure out how to use it, but I'd probably screw up i'd probably i don't know cut against the grain or 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 overestimate how fast i should be moving and break the blade you know all types of things could happen and i guess um for whatever reason i decided to not pursue those things but it's funny because when I think about all the different things you can do with tools, all the things you can make, all the ways you can, you know, basically have control over a lot of uh, the, the issues that could happen in your home. When you know how to do that stuff, it seems like a huge asset in life. So it's a, it's a, it's a practical asset. And then it's also a creative asset because the things that you can build, if you understand uh, you know, how to use the tools and how to how to plan, how to correctly, you know, how to know what what wood to buy and how to measure it to and how to plan a, you know, say something like um, like a treehouse, like that shit even is impressive to me, like somebody's backyard treehouse. Not that I didn't, you know, I didn't, I don't think either of us got into this podcast to talk about building tree houses, but maybe I'll do it someday. Uh, so the important things are the door in the kitchen, the uh, cabinet door in the kitchen, and then um, oh, t- the toilet seat in the bathroom. And then I think there was one other thing. 
Uh, I mean, I have to, I have to fix the cabinet or the, the roll top desk, but I, they, that's, I can't get specific enough with that because I don't know what I need to do next with that. And there was one other thing, but I, I don't remember what it was. So I guess, I guess this will, uh, wrap it up. I'm just grasping just for like a last second to find out if there's anything that anything else that I can think of. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Tools Talking Tools. Please subscribe to Tools Talking Tools on iTunes or Google Play, as well as True Life Not Doritos on the same places and the Pocket Cast app. All right, so that's it. That was Tools Talking Tools. We're at, what are we at? The uh, almost the five hour mark here. It's pretty good. It's an interesting uh, transition going from the show to the interstitial, whatever you want to call this, the regular part, the non-segmented part of the show. It's interesting deciding when to end each segment because, you know, it's like you don't know if if you're if you're going to miss anything, if you're going to conclude the show and then be like, damn it, I should have, I should have waited, you know, cause it's a different thought process when you're doing a longer show like this, that's also segmented into different shows. I do give uh, Josh the credit on figuring this out. The, in terms of figuring out that, uh, an effective way to do a whole bunch of podcasts is to record one long show and then have specific segments within the long show that are then shows themselves. So, yeah, I was, like, trying to think if there's any other thing that I wanted to kind of shoehorn into this. Um, but I, I feel that if, if I don't end this one soon, then I'm not going to, you know, be able to move on and do the other things I need to do. So if you're interested, I will, I don't know what the name of it is, but I'll give you the, my whole like information about my whole like cheap podcast setup I have going on here. And, uh, I guess there's no comments on podcasts, are there? I guess only if you, if I were to put it on YouTube. Isn't that weird? YouTube has, like, no podcast integration? Or is that just boring? I can't tell if I'm making that noise or what. So, yeah, uh, this is the last two minutes of the show. What do you have to say 
Uh, would you call in? Would you call into the show? We don't have a phone line set up yet. I mean, it, it's set up, but the technical bullshit to go through is going to be especially difficult because my computers are so damn slow. Like, I'm using a Chromebook right now. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's not great for any elaborate production or, you know, anything that's anywhere beyond super basic. Um, I'm interested to hear this back. You know, it's so weird. Like, I don't think I'm used to listening to myself back on the show. So that's that's an interesting thing that I'm getting used to in this process. So it'll be real interesting to see if I get used to it or if I just gradually hate myself more and more and more um, until I either stop doing the podcast or get vocal lessons or, or uh, uh, brain surgery. <laughs> I don't know. But I I am glad that you stuck around for this long treat of an unexpected show. This has been another episode of True Life, Not Doritos. We've received multiple cease and desist letters from LaughCast, as well as the Passive Aggressive Hour, but we are not going to change the name of the show uh, Tostitos or uh, uh, sorry Frito-Lay the, the company that owns Tostitos and uh, Doritos uh, has contacted us and said if if we don't stop then legal action will be required and I don't think that's right and I think that I want to stick up for the people here and say You guys cause millions of humans and animals to die every day because of the unhealthy chemicals in your food. Now, do you want me to uh, get my private investigator friend uh, on this case? Or do you want to shut up and not complain about some podcast done by a 13-year-old in his parents' basement? That's me. I'm 13. (laughs) in my parents basement um what's the what's the what's up what's up still trying to find the perfect microphone position so i'm thinking my my advertisement model is i do a show that's free for five hours and then if you want to get the extra five minutes at the end that'll be ten dollars a month doesn't steven crowder charge like 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 sixty dollars for a mug or something like that what and what what the fuck is up with uh uh, he's an interesting person. Um, a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a, an embarrassment, to be honest. Not because of his politics, because of his. It actually, has nothing to do with his politics. I know he's like a political guy, but what I pay attention with him is his insecurity, his 
his willingness to give it, to give harsh, mean criticism, but then his inability to take like 1% of that criticism sent his way. Um, it makes it less enjoyable to watch. Like a guy who can shit on you, but then get shit on and take it. That's where it's at. Not this fucking loser bitch. And I say that, you know, I called him a loser bitch. And, and, and that, that should mean a lot because it's coming from a loser bitch. I'm better than you, Steven. I don't rip off people with mugs and then tell them to change my mind. Um, Steven Crowder is a murderer and a pedophile. Change my mind in court. <laughs> ah, you son of a bitch, Steven. Goodbye. Thanks for watching, listening, not watching.